to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stark. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with a nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today, I am really excited to, and I feel, well, you know, I'll introduce and then I'll get into my little, uh, whoa, what's uh, what's wrong with me? Uh, but my guest today is Jamie Daggers. How are you doing, Jamie? Hey, Riley, I'm good. How are you? I am so good. So pre this podcast, I did a podcast called Nerding Out, and my friend Danny Dowdle he does death night painting. He would paint miniatures while we while we recorded, and he's you know a professional painter. He he gets paid to do it. That's that's the only income that he has. And it's uh, I realized that. And when I told somebody else that I was having you on the show, they're like, "You've never had a miniature painter on the show." And I'm like, "What the heck? I used to co-host a podcast <laughs> with a miniature painter. What's wrong with me?" But I'm really excited to have. Somebody who does miniature painting. Yes, I, I also am a full-time painter. Um, I recently like jumped into that. I used to own a board game store and then uh, sold it off um, at like midpoint this past year and decided to make the make the changeover to trying to do full-time content creation, mini painting commission. Um, painting for media is like my ultimate goal, but I'm still breaking into that in the industry. We talked a little bit about that, but I'm sure we'll cover it again. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually really interesting. I mean, let's dive into it. Why not? There's the natural flow here. Uh, but like I've seen you, you painted, what was it? The Stormlight Archives miniatures, right? Yes, like, I did. Yes. And um, that was so, from Brotherwise when they were doing their Kickstarter. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like an, a, right? That had to be, they sent you the miniatures beforehand because People who are backing it, people don't have those in hand even yet. Um, right. And they they sent me some prototypes. Um, that was actually a we, we were talking a little bit about like reaching out to people like to try to get like that connection or whatever. Um, you know, again, like the, the, there's there's a um, there's like a nerves portion of, of the whole process. I just reached out to their community manager and was like, hey, uh, you know, I do this for for fun, I guess I, I I get paid to do it when I can. Um, certainly not enough as I should, I'm sure. Um, and we ended up becoming friends after the fact. Um, but yeah, he he was like, yeah, we'll send you some um, some 3D printed prototypes because, uh, as I understand, the final product is going to be resin, um, so they're like fully cast rather than 3D printed. Um, but he sent me over a couple of the characters. I was already a huge fan of the book, so I just wanted to paint them for me, you know, like for, for <laughs> my content. Like I was like, you don't even need to pay me. Like, I just love these characters. I want to paint them really bad. Um, there was another painter who, um, who managed to do the same. She also painted them and, 
uh, Brandon Sanderson actually was delivered the models to look at in person. I was like a little bit jealous. I was like, oh man, I wish that could have been me. <laughs> yeah, I saw those. Uh, was it Fi- L Fire Spray? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Brandon Sanderson. I, I'm from Utah. He's here in Utah. Like, um, I uh, yeah. It's hard not to be exposed to Brandon Sanderson here. And it's interesting having official miniatures to like, I, I went, they had to have worked very closely with him of being like, this is how I envisioned it. And I imagine these are like his vision of those characters come to life. That's I, I assume that's the case. I don't see him as the kind of person that would just let them kind of go off and do their own thing about it. So right. I imagine that is the case, but um, I genuinely don't know. I, I love how they've been like rendered in, in character. Um, you know, like I, I actually have a couple of them sitting over here. I only painted Shallan. Uh, but again, that one was like, that one was for me. Um, so like being like, Oh yeah, I'm a professional mini painter. And then just being like, by the way, I didn't get paid for that. I did it for fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is a way too common thing, uh, from me. Uh, but that's just, um, Getting, getting into the swing of being like a professional anything, I think. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's hard, too, where you, you're you so passionate about something and you're reaching out to somebody. It's hard to say, like, hey, I really love this thing. Would you mind paying me to help, you know, to paint it and make it look beautiful? And that'll help sell it for you. But also, if you don't want to paint me, I'll still do it for free. You know, like, or, exactly. Like, I don't so want to miss that shot, you know. Um, and a lot of times with those, with those campaigns, they have a runway pre-built. So it's like, they know what budget they're working with already. And so when I come out of the gate and I'm like, Hey, like, I think this Kickstarter would sell if you had like actually painted minis instead of just these 3d renders, um, you know, can I paint them for you? And like, I still, I try to keep it really, really modest quoted, you know, like, because I know, again, they're working with a limited budget. Um, Sometimes it's just like people that are just trying to break into the industry. So they have nothing like all they have is the money that's coming from the Kickstarter. Um, You know, so a lot of times I will, I will just settle for like, you know, like not early copies, but like a full pledge or something like that. So like, in a way, no, it doesn't help my pocketbook, but it does help my game shelf, which is, uh, again, a bad thing to paint for but you know what it's fine i would probably buy the game anyway so yeah i see varying degrees of content creators who you know do review copy well preview copies really is what you should say is um but they'll their prices are either like a dollar amount mount and or the like they get a pledge level the highest pledge level of it Mm -hmm. um which i think is really cool and Mm -hmm. I would do that. I mean, heck, if if people wanted to come on this show uh, and get exposure, if I was that big, you know, and, and it was worth their their time and that money to just give me a full pledge, I would, you know, I would definitely do that. <laughs> I think I think it's a great way to do it. You should reframe it as when you're that big. Well, when I- <laughs> you're going to get there, you're going to get there. It's yeah, truly like it's one of those things where I stumbled into it uh, in terms of like. And, and I'm actually glad you said that because I didn't even think about offering that as a, you know, like as a reward for because I don't mind, you know, painting for a game, you know, like especially if it's a game I'm going to back anyway or, you know, something I know a friend will really like because then I don't need to necessarily feel um, a responsibility for keeping the game if it's a review. I, I don't know how many or how often you've gotten review copies, 
But I know a lot of times I'll get a review copy of something. I'll be like, man, I just I like this game. It's not really for me, but I know someone who would love it. But I feel like a jerk for giving it away, (laughs) you know, so it's like I feel like that's a good idea to maybe be like, hey, maybe, uh, you know, if you don't because for them, there's a there's a dollar amount. There's a cost amount for that game. And then there's a there's an MSRP, right? So to me, it has more value. To them, it has less value. They're giving me something that's valuable at a lower cost to them. It's kind of win-win. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's it's a big thing. I, you sure. know, and it's uh, like you were saying, right? They might be a small-time creator, first-time creator. They might not have that money to put it into the game, and that's like a way of. And it does, you don't actually even guarantee that you'll get paid because what if the project doesn't fund? Like you're taking a risk on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I always, it's such a hard thing to me because I am of the mindset that like I really want to pay, uh, you know, people what they're worth. And right, right. And I try my best. Like I have a painting in my room right here that uh, I had a local painter paint for me of some music that I did, like uh, some lyrics that I did. And, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful work of art. And it's it means a lot to me. And she gave me the price and I made sure to like pay more than that because I just I think that artists sometimes like undersell themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, There's yeah, always that fear of like missing the gig because of overpricing or overquoting or something like that. And and I'm, I'm glad we we got onto this topic because that's something that I am notorious for you know, for avoiding is like that, that, that to me is the worst part of commission painting is having to negotiate that price because I want people to have affordable minis, you know, I don't, but at the same time, I do have a degree of expertise that I've gained that, that values my work at a higher cost. And like, it's this weird dance you have to, you have to perform where it's like, you can do it faster and better than you did before. And it's worth more by that metric. So if you get fewer jobs at a higher cost, technically you are getting less work, but it's more concentrated, if that makes sense. Um, Because for me, the thing that really draws the fun out of it for me is like having to do full armies for, say, a war game or something like that. I started actually like sneaking into the board game world a little bit more with commissions when I realized that like, if someone gives me a copy of Blood Rage or like I'm painting Dodos riding dinos right now, um, if somebody gives me a copy of a game, there is a finite end to that. And like realistically, there is for an army too. But for some reason, for board games with my mind, it feels better. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll start like getting into this board game thing, trying it out a little bit, see what, see if people, like if there's a market for that. Um, because I feel like, and this is something I mentioned in our little pre-roll when we were talking is I kind of straddle between minis uh, like mini wargaming and board gaming itself. Um, and when um, Brian Chandler reached out to me to paint his minis for sidekicks, I was thrilled. Like I was so excited um, because I was like, first of all, it's Disney characters. Like that's great content. Um, second of all, it's so much different from what I normally do that I was just, I jumped at the chance. Um, and that kind of, you know, to give him that credit, like it, it sort of inspired me to start pursuing 
more board game related minis like the Stormlight Archives ones, um, like Dodo's Riding Dinos. I bought the um, Final Girl minis and I'm hoping to play those solo on my stream. Um, but first, of course, I'm going to paint them. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. there's a there's a there's a place for minis in board gaming. Not every board game has minis. So it's almost like moving towards board games with both inevitable and far healthier for my career because there's a finite amount of minis in the board game space already. And then each board game also has a finite amount of minis. So I'm not just sitting here like, like just like, uh, you know, like assembly lining every single thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's such a cool thing, a unique thing that you do. And they look gorgeous. Like go Thank you. to Jamie's Twitter. Is that where like, do you do Twitter mainly, Instagram, all the socials, or basically everything? Um, if you if you want the like the the kind of the unfettered um, mini photos, Instagram's probably the best place to go because Twitter is kind of interspersed with all my silly, um, you know, like opinions and contact. Like, I, I use Twitter basically as a chat room for me that everybody just gets to see. Sorry, my dog decided to say hi to her hero, the mailman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, Twitter, Twitter's just kind of like interspersed with all sorts of silly things, um, including like live alerts for Twitch and stuff. But if you want the like the raw, unfiltered, like mini pics, I think Instagram is, is probably the best way to go. And nice. uh, it, it's Jamie Dagger's the same thing on there. So it's it's the same thing everywhere, pretty much. But uh, that, that's probably the best place to find them. Yeah, they are absolutely gorgeous. Thank and you. I think kind of talking about the price thing, like whenever I'm negotiating with an artist, I will either if they say a price that's too high for me at the time, like I have uh, a very specific, um, you know, I do my actual play podcast and I have a character that is Native American. That's important to me, you know, being part Native American. And so um, I wanted to hire a Native American artist and Absolutely. they quoted me a price and I was like, whew, that is a lot of money. So I will get back to you. And I like I will. I 100% will when I'm more financially like can afford that price. Mm -hmm. um, and if I think it's too low, then I will negotiate upwards and be like, OK, I think you're underselling yourself here. Like, uh, can I pay you more? Would you like it? Would you take any offense if I paid you like 20 bucks more than that? And even then, I still think I'm probably undercut, like underpaying you. But like that um, is let me know what's legit. From my side of things, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's hard. It's hard to like art. First of all, art is so subjective. Um, you know, what I think looks good from an objective, you know, paint by numbers um, process, like, like not even, I won't even say school of art. I didn't go to school for art, but like if you look at a mini and you go, okay, I followed all these steps, you know, like I think it looks good everything is by the book and then I give it to somebody and they're like, well, this isn't really what I was hoping for. Like this isn't the vision I had for it. That's a totally valid criticism. Yeah. You know, like it's all up to you, especially something as close that you feel as close to as a, as a, as a PC, like, uh, you know, your character in D and D that you're spending hours a week or month with, you know, like you have created a, a fragment of yourself and, put it into this character you want it to look especially if you're spending money on it you want it to look a certain way and that's a totally totally valid criticism so even if it follows all you know like all available um 
you know, styles and, and current format and everything. If the person's not happy with it, they're not happy with it at the yeah. end of the day. You know, so it's like it's so hard to price just because of those facts alone. Um, and what I've been trying to do to try to mitigate that, and and I've actually never gotten feedback on this, so I don't know if it's a good idea or if it puts pressure on the on the buyer or whatever. When I negotiate a price, I go, all right, this is the bottom line price. If you pay me this and we walk away, I am satisfied with this. I will not ask for more, but I do request that once you get the mini or ahead of this, you know, if I send you a photo and you really like it, <clears throat> if you consider gratuity. You know, so like a tipping system. So I go like, all right, this player character model, I spent this amount of hours on, and this is my hourly rate for the most part. Um, so this is the bottom line of what I would expect. And then if you're super happy with it, if I've gone above and beyond, or there are specific things that you like that really, really speak to you, um, you know, then please consider, you know, throwing some extra money my way or something like that. Or, you know, like join me on my stream and subscribe or something like that. Like, Little things like that, I think, can be helpful. I feel like I play the long game a lot, you know, like where it's like I, I will invest time or, or energy or, or even money sometimes now that I'm hoping will pay off in the future. It's like a goodwill strategy, I guess. Um, but like, I think that then gives someone like yourself the opportunity to graciously offer more without that awkwardness, I think, that is inevitable in that negotiation process. So, yeah, yeah, I I hate talking money. It's my least favorite <laughs> thing of like anything. Like I'm, a, I'm self-employed. I do sales and I like literally the worst part of it is just being like, oh, okay, all right, let's, let's get the money stuff out of the way real quick. And then let's get back to like what progress we're seeing, what, what we need to happen. But um, with that, I actually, you know, do you send uh, progress pictures and be like, is this the type of color you want? Do you want it? is this looking right to you do you, and then make alterations my my fa- my favorite thing is when a person comes to me and i promise i'll get to i'll address your question it's going to no, sound yeah, like a little course. a weird place to start but that's how i fav- answer questions <laughs> my favorite thing is when a person comes to me and they're like i want this exactly this is exactly what i want because then i don't have to make any choices i just have to make it happen um so when when i'm doing something like that absolutely i will well I, I don't know about progress picks. What I'll normally do is I'll get it to a point where I'm like, there's only a couple hours left in this job. I think, you know, like they're going to have a good idea as to what I'm going for with this. I'll send them a photo. Be like, Hey, first of all, your job's almost done. Second of all, this is what it's looking like. Are we on track? You know, um, something along those lines, because I do think that's really helpful to, to get a baseline and to kind of drive the excitement a little bit because you know, for me with how many, um, with how many commissions I have at any given time, like I don't have an accurate schedule for people, which is probably frustrating from a consumer standpoint, but just the way that my brain works, we talked about having ADHD, like the way that my method of self-employment works is like, I, with any creative position, I think you, you almost have to work in spurts. It's not something that you can just summon at least at first. Um, you know, it's something you have to either exercise that muscle to get to that point, or you have to just, I guess, be like gifted to do that sort of thing. Um, and I'm not quite there yet. So like a lot of times 
you know, I, I am at home all day, every day. So there's home tasks I need to make sure get done so that things keep running around here. Um, you know, so one day I won't paint at all and I will beat myself up about it or something like that. And, uh, you know, like, but then there's other days where I wake up and I just have this spark of inspiration. So I sit down and I paint and I don't stop for like eight hours. So like, I find it so hard to be like, oh yeah, it'll be done in this amount of time because I can't always promise that my head's going to be in that space. So I find that progress pictures are super helpful for that. Um, they really, really help kind of like communicate to the person that A, <clears throat> I know you haven't heard from me in a month, but this is actually happening. <laughs> and B, this is what it looks like. Are you cool with it? Do we need to work in a different direction? Um, and then like f- from a finality standpoint, uh, I will send, you know, like a final picture um, again, like a double check before we we finish it up. And it hasn't happened, but like I am open you know, like two revisions after the fact. So if they get it and they see it and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is like something is terribly wrong here. (laughs) Like, I don't care. I'll fix it. It's at the end of the day, I want the person who paid for this product to be happy with it. Um, You know, like, and and I like to think I'm going to continue to to keep that mindset going forward. Um, I think even at my busiest, I haven't, abandoned that. So I, I like to, I like to keep my eye on the prize in that respect. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, my poor friend, uh, Danny, he does, he's colorblind. And so, you know, being a professional mini painter, he often has to like either ask his wife or send a picture and be like, I don't know. Is this the right color? Like, he tells them beforehand, like, I am colorblind, but we'll make sure it's the right color. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Yeah. And and so he always, you know, he never gets complaints. But I guess he told me once that he did send one off and they were like, this is purple and it's supposed to be <laughs> blue or something, you know, like. <laughs> and, Good for him. Good for yeah, him. So he had to, like, repaint an entire army, you know, <laughs> like. Well, and, uh, and the f- funny that you bring that up. Um, I mentioned earlier that I had done some painting for Brian who yeah, oh, is, yeah. you know, he's obviously colorblind. That's kind of his whole, um, you know, that's something he he works really hard to bring attention to in, in our in our industry. Um, <clears throat> I even asked him, and of course, I had the luxury of knowing that ahead of time. But I even asked him at the time, like, hey, like a lot of these Disney characters are red and green. Are you cool with that? Like, do you want me to alter it a little bit? Do you want me to see if I can find a way to make the highlights a little bit different colors so that it, it, it it's a little bit more, you know, like colorblind friendly. Not that I know how to do that, but I'm willing to try that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, 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 just go, go on, do it how they look. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, obviously you don't always have that relationship with a client, so you can't always put that much thought into it. Um, but that was a, that was just a really interesting situation where that came up. But the, the fact that you have a friend who's a, colorblind mini painter is super cool like i find that really fascinating <laughs> yeah it it boggles my mind because he does absolutely gorgeous you know miniatures he he's never short on work he <laughs> I, and that kind of brings up the like he's got people who will just send him you know monthly they'll send him uh you know a set of 40k or whatever you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah and and so it's those return customers. Do you find that with, I'm sure with Warhammer, you probably have some repeat customers, but in the board gaming part, do you find repeat customers? Like um, I'm sure Brian would love to, you know, hire you again if he hasn't already, but yeah. 
I so far, so I actually, um, believe it or not, most of the work that I do on stream uh, is just, I would say, mostly stuff for me. Um, my commission business is really not um, super fleshed out at this point. I've been kind of working my way into it. And so, you know, the people, I, I would say a lot of my customers are local customers. Having owned the game store, um, there are a few people who have stuck with me after the fact that just like my work and want me to keep doing it. Um, funny, again, the the Stormlight Archives minis come up again because I had a friend who um, wanted the Dodo's Riding Dinos painted. And he was like, well, hey, what if I back, you know, the full Stormlight Archive mini set and that can be your payment? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like that, that's cool. Like that's something I would have paid for otherwise. And now I have something that I can then use later as content if I want to, um, or even give some of the minis that I get extras of away or something like that on my stream. Um, so, you know, like, like full answer to the question, not really. I don't really have repeat customers because I would have to have like customers in the first place. Um, and it's not, again, not to say that I don't, but that a lot of my work has been, um, again, either like goodwill work through the, through the industry or, you know, I, I occasionally, you know, like I'll, I just finished up an army for a, a former customer of mine. Um, I just finished up this, this summoner. I don't know how well this is going to show on camera, but I just finished up this guy. He's on my, oh. my Instagram, uh, for a former customer as well. So like, you know, I think those people still kind of keeping me in mind is really helpful. Um, but I think my visibility, again, I relied on the shop a lot for, potential um, commissions. And now that I'm working from home, I don't have that access anymore. So I've been trying to kind of bring awareness to that presence and sort of demonstrate to people that like, A, my work is, you know, worth paying for, I think. And, um, and B, it's available for, for hire, you know? So like a big part of that has been like also trying to juggle the, um, the ever growing time commitment that is, content creation and streaming and full-time uh, work therein. And, you know, also kind of coming to terms with like, do I need to find something <clears throat> part-time in the industry to kind of supplement that commission income? Um, and all of that, of course, as I'm sure you well know, being somebody who creates content as well, it, it ultimately ends up in us selling more of our time more of our free time to um, not always literally sell it. A lot of times it's just, uh, a very, very unbalanced trade, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, in reality, it's, it's, it's an interesting balance to strike because there's always more work that can be done. And so I am often at a point where I'm like, do I want to advertise more on commissions and potentially sacrifice <clears throat> time that either would be co-opted by my stream in the future if it picks up or something like that? You know, how much of this do I... Do, I, I almost need to like bet futures against myself in that respect. Um, so it, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard balance to strike. And I told myself when I started like streaming full time that I was going to be a lot more selective about my commissions so that one, I could paint what I wanted to. And two, um, you know, I could be really, really careful about what I commit to um, so that I don't underperform for these people. Cause that's ultimately at the end of the day, your, your, your reputation is what you're selling you know, oh, more yeah. so than just your painting. So, um, you know, like I, I wouldn't say that repeat customers have been a thing just because other than I think the guy that, that gave me the, or that's that backed the Stormlight archive minis for me. Um, I don't have any like really dedicated customers. Um, 
but that monthly idea does sound like a like a good one. I might have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's like very specifically Warhammer, right? Yeah, right, are- right always building up their army and it's kind of like a he he does a reduced price because he knows every month he's getting you know the 300 bucks or whatever it is mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. paint these you know 10 miniatures or whatever it is uh, you know like a set amount of miniatures so it's very think, dedicated i don't know exactly what the price was i but i think it's somewhere around there for well even even just from a from a theoretical standpoint it's it's probably really nice to have that guaranteed income. Cause especially like you said, you're, you're self-employed, I'm self-employed. It's always difficult to find, you know, places where that, where that reliable income can come from. So I think he, he's probably got a good foundation set up because a, it keeps him painting all the time. And B it's a steady income that anything on top of that he makes, he knows is, is, is all gravy. You know what I mean? So, so it's yeah. a good strategy. I, I have to look into something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do that kind of thing too, with certain like customers out on farms. It's if they want to do like a monthly thing and they have that commitment, I'll give it to them at a reduced rate because that's like Mm -hmm. more money for me in the long run uh, to have that commitment and for them to be able to see, like commit and see the better results. So, well, and and ultimately relationships, like I I think you could, you can probably attest to this as well, though. I don't want to speak for you, you know, part of the magic of the board game industry is the relationships you get to make. And that transposes to all different areas of life, especially in an increasingly disconnected, like, I mean, kind of like, like physically disconnected um, world that we live in. Building those relationships, I think is like, one, it's a huge part of sales. Uh, and two, it's, it's something that I feel like we kind of took for granted that is starting to become like less and less important. I think there's a lot of transactional relationships that occur and that's totally fine but there's something to be said for building a trusted relationship with a client that then can be honest with you and come to you and be like hey this is really not to my standard or like what i expected from you and and you can then take that criticism without without insult i think you know like building that relationship allows you to become a better artist because then you have people who are willing to be honest with you rather than, you know, like, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the inverse is true that a one-off person would be easier to just be like, be a jerk to you and then never hire you again or something like that. But like for truly constructive criticism, I think those relationships are really invaluable, whether you're in sales, whether you're in creative work, whether you're in, you know, what, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, so I think there's definitely value in that. Well, I think as you're saying that, like, there is, I know for me that when I'm doing work with farmers, there's a pride of like, mm-hmm. I want you to see the results that we are working towards. And yeah. if that's not happening, like, let me know. I will throw, like, I will lose money on this and we will like make sure that we get to where we need to be and get things on track. Um, and I know that with him, right? Like uh, it's the same thing where, you know, Oh, you don't like this color you thought you were going to like this color and now you're like, Ooh, no, 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 that doesn't work for me. Can we change it from yellow to red? And, you know, yeah. like he's willing to do that because it's about those relationships. You build these relationships. Right. And, and I think yeah. that nimbleness is something that we as independent contractors offer that I don't think a larger operation ever could. Yeah. And I think that's a huge valuable asset that like, especially, and, and again, pertains to the board game industry too. You know, you have all these people who are, 
doing Kickstarters. I think Mycelium is a great example. Uh, their, their Kickstarter ended today and it's just a couple who made their first board game. And it's one of those like Kickstarter darlings that just happened to pick up. Um, and you know, like that's not to discount the amount of work and, and passion that's clearly gone into it. But the reality is that a lot of times it's just a lottery. Um, but like, understandably, they have worked to kind of create that and fine tune that just so that it does hit the right eyes and that the right people see it and then boost it. And that's where, you know, you increase your entries into that lottery, for example, um, that nimbleness, that ability to adapt and evolve with things that are happening actively, I think is what makes independent operators like ourselves stand out. And, and so that whether you're, again, whether you're a commission artist, whether you're an independent, you know, like contractor or, or self-employed, whatever, um, I think that's a, an advantage that we will almost always have over, you know, a more maybe consistent, but more affordable system. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's something that definitely should be leveraged. What I think is fascinating there too, is that with art, you have this joy, this pride, and you are not wanting to stay stagnant. You are wanting to improve your art. You are wanting to like, no, I don't know any artists that like, I'm looking at your miniatures. They are absolutely gorgeous. And I am sure that you are constantly learning new techniques or trying new techniques, trying new styles and being like, I, you know, like I want to explore this. I want to improve and, and be able to offer more. Um, I, I'm not speaking for you, but no, no, maybe. you're, you're, yeah. you're 100% <laughs> on the money. The The only thing I would add to that is that like, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, is having to be realistic about that growth, because I think that no matter what industry you work in, um, my, my, the thing I always repeat, or I say to myself is like, is flowers are not always in bloom. And by that, I mean, like you, you are not always going to be putting forth your best effort. Sometimes you do have to, I mean, assuming you're in, you're in, you're in your perennial flower and not an annual flower, <laughs> but you know, I love this metaphor so much, right? <laughs> Metaphors are best when they have to be really, really deeply described. Yeah. Well, no, because then it like, as you add more details, it's like, Oh no, that's even more relatable. Like as you add the perennial, the, you know, right. annual, the, well, and, and that's the thing, right? It's like growth as an artist, as a, as a person or whatever, it's not a constant thing. I think, I think a low grade like level of growth can more or less constantly be occurring, but like truly huge, like paradigm shifting growth has to be done intentionally. And so like when I'm learning new things, that's what I'm setting out to do. And actually I I don't feel like I've had a period of growth in a, in a while. Uh, A lot of it has happened incidentally with new tools, um, new projects, things like that, where, I see an opportunity to be like, okay, maybe I can flex this a little bit and see how it goes. And I think actually the last two minis I did, the one that I showed earlier, and then uh, the most recent one that I posted on my socials are two really, really good examples of this. Because um, I think there's a, there's a, in the, in the, in Warhammer specifically, there's a lot of desire for models to be kind of realistic the irony of that is not lost on me. It's a total fantasy universe in both cases, but like, (laughs) you know, like realism in the context of that space. Um, There's, there's a desire for that realism. And so when a client comes to me and they say like, here's what I expect, this is what I want. um, Cool. No problem. We can work with that. But when someone comes to me and for example, this army 
is they're called they're called Zinch. They're a chaos army, and their whole thing is that they are uh, they're lords of change. You know, they're like these crazy colorful chaotic beings that have absolutely no rhyme or reason to them so the guy who hired me to do it, he's like just go for it like do whatever speaks to you um so you know i custom made the base i made it look like like a like a vortex of magic that's just spitting you know electricity and stones out everywhere or whatever i went off the rails with my colors i even ordered a neon set of colors just to do that specific job um and once I did that, again, it was a period of incidental growth where I'm like, okay, no, like this, this style speaks to me way more than any other style does. I like working with it. The one that I, the most recent mini I posted, the guy with the wings, that was just for me. I just did that for fun. Um, I was working on it one hobby night with some friends and then I finished it the next day on stream. And, and it was just like one of those projects where it just grips you and doesn't let go until it's done. And so I was like, okay, maybe there's something to investigate here. So like, in as much as growth is not a persistent and, and, and be intentional. Sometimes it does happen incidentally and your responsibility, I think, and again, limited to the energy and the, and the time that you have, your responsibility is to nurture that if it does come up, I think. Um, and if not, then it just passes on its way. A lot of times, maybe it'll come back later. Maybe it won't, but like, you know, so if you're not growing intentionally as an artist or as a, you know, in, in your work or your life or whatever, um, you know, kind of keeping yourself open to those opportunities of growth, I think is really important. So there's, there's a couple different ways to do it, but I think the important thing is to remember that growth also takes effort and energy. And it's not something that is a period of rest, I think. So those, those, those periods also need to be added in, (laughs) which really starts to build that wall of like, Oh gosh, I have so much to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole thing and I could go on forever about it, but (laughs) yeah, no. Yeah. It's, I think that's really great. I mean, uh, a artist friend of mine showed me like, um, you know, here's nine paintings from last year and nine paintings from this year. And they were really disappointed because, you know, they, they felt like they didn't have that growth. And I'm like, you know what? One year to the next, you probably learned some small techniques to highlight certain things, to emphasize like, your image or whatever it is, you know, I, I'm not an artist. I don't know, but, uh, you know, like compare yourself one to five years, like in one to five years, you're bound to have like a more noticeable change rather than like subtle changes. And you're, you're, you are 100% on the money there too, because, you know, especially one to five, you can absolutely, you can absolutely identify the evolution of your work. I think what that person not to give advice where it's not been requested, but like give it one thing that I always try to focus on. One thing I try to tell my viewers, um, because a lot of times they're hobbying along with me, or at least I like to encourage that. Um, cause then they can actively ask questions while I'm painting as well. But one thing I like to, to tell people is like, you, you have to remember that, um, you know, when we're creating art, a lot of times what doesn't see, what seems like a period of no growth is actually a period of practice. And practice obviously increases our speed. And like when you perform something with art specifically, you you then move on to, okay, I've locked in this technique. Now we're going to optimize. Now we're going to try to recreate that, re- repurpose that at a faster rate. Um, you know, so like performing that technique quicker 
is kind of the goal at that point. You you've figured out how to do it. Now you do it faster. Then you can replicate it at a more optimal degree if you're somebody who's painting for commission or something like that. You know, so it, it it all comes down to your goals. Like if that person's goal was to have their their work look better last year than it did this year, then maybe their priorities were just out of line. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't grow. It just means that maybe they didn't observe their growth in the way that it actually was occurring, which is to say they were looking for tangible, you know, technical growth, whereas they actually had, you know, like reliability and optimizing growth. So looking at your growth in terms of, I think, those metrics as well is super important. And, and the, the more the very, very simple way of putting it is that speed is, is a tangible, you know, skill. You know, speed in replicating your design and your creation is a tangible skill that that's hard to measure, but it, you know, it's, it's there. Yeah. Well, and as you refine, like, so i I do a little bit of miniature painting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and when I very first started, I picked some miniatures that I thought, you know, these, if this looks bad, that's okay. I love this game, but the game style kind of lends itself to like, even if these look bad, it, it just, it'll match the tone of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did it. I used some really cheap paints and they, they end up coming out like you know the paint i put it on way too thick i uh, mm-hmm. so it had sort of a texture and it gave like a timber like a tim burton-esque feel to it oh, and yeah. i was like i love this like okay like i felt good about it i was like i don't know why it's like sort of clumpy or or uh, uh streaky i don't understand all that but whatever you know like i'm gonna go buy some real paints and buy some real brushes and right and start actually painting and so then that's I the, that's the that. best way to do it that is yeah. the best way to do it yeah, and then it's just like you just keep doing that, and then eventually you're like, uh, ask people questions, right? Like, how do you make this look so good? And it's like, well, let me tell you about highlighting. And yeah, like, what is highlighting? You know, yep. what is a glaze? What is all this? You know, like it's, it, and it'll be like you know months and months of me doing that, and then I'll try highlighting, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, it doesn't look super great, but it's. You know, like, and then I'll stop doing highlighting because I'm like, okay, I'm not very good at it. And then I'll just (laughs) go back and do my normal thing, get comfortable. And then I'll highlight again and I'll be like, oh, you know, why haven't I been highlighting this whole time? And it's like, (laughs) well, because I was like refining my normal miniature painting, you know, like just the base stuff. And I think in the big lie, I always tell myself is like, okay, I'm going to get it to this point. And then if I really want to later, I can go back and refine it. And to be completely honest, like, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever put this down in like, in like recorded, uh, you know, like testimony, but I don't think I've ever gone back and revisited a mini. <laughs> like once I'm done painting it, no matter what degree it's at, I'm done. I am not picking that back up again, no matter how many times I lie to myself. But the reality is you could, you know, you really yes. could if you want to. Um, and that's also part of why. So like recently I discovered a passion for um, for like actively teaching mini painting, not just being on stream and talking about the process as I'm doing it or answering questions or whatever. Um, but I, I just came off a, a three class stint at PAX. So I taught three hour long classes there. And my goal going into it was, you know, they asked that I create a curriculum. And my goal was to you know, like identified board gamers as people who may want to paint minis, but they didn't get into board gaming to paint minis as opposed to miniature painters, or I'm sorry, war gamers who as part of that hobby, it's kind of a three-part hobby. 
uh, which is to build them, then to paint them, and then to play with them, right? Um, so it's it's kind of inherent in that either you are a mini painter to some degree, or you have someone who's painting the minis for you, whatever the case may be. Whereas with board gamers, you know, a lot of times the minis are perfectly fine out of the box, and you don't need to paint them. But like, maybe it's a passion you discover in that respect. And so, you know, I approached my curriculum building with that in mind, which is like, to say, you know, these are people who are approaching this from a baseline of potentially zero understanding of mini painting. And that's totally cool. I can work with that. You know, actually, I did a little like straw poll at the beginning of who has painted before. And I would say the majority of all the classes have painted minis. Hmm. And um, so that's great. That's a that's a good place to work from, because either I'm going to hopefully give you some tips on a skill that you maybe have tried but didn't know there was a name for or have a more accurate understanding of how it works or why it works. Um, and actually I can give you the link to share with, with your audience as well, but I created, um, what somebody actually, so they described it as a zine and I've never been able to back off from that description of it. I love it because I just got into this like mood where I pulled out my iPad and, you know, turned on procreate and I just hand wrote and like drew, an entire instructional page that I handed out to, to students. And it's just like, it's a really intimate, like, you know, like very brief and easily referenceable understanding of painting basics. Like, you know, like what types of brushes and what are, what, what are their applications and what types of paint to find and use and things like that. And it's something that I'm hopefully going to continue to iterate on. And um, I have one more, currently one more teaching session lined up at a convention up in Michigan soon um, and I want to keep doing it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And there's, there's like a, I don't know, there, there's an, I, I wouldn't say a need for it. I don't, you know, obviously it's a hobby. There's no true need for anything like that. But like, if you look at art as a, you know, an expression of life and like as an important thing. Um, and, and then of course I look at mini painting as a way to relax and unwind and connect with my hobby in a way that I hadn't before. Um, I think there is a a need for that particular brand of instruction. And so I'm hoping to continue to do that. And um, I also kind of like want to start offering that through my stream and my Patreon, things like that, more direct instructional beginner content, but also providing enough interest in that content to be rewarding for longer term painters. And so maybe getting back to boilerplate basics and understanding, oh, well, that's why white paint never comes out the way that it's supposed to, because, you know, <laughs> whatever. But like trying to trying to thread that needle was a little bit difficult at first. But once it started, once I started kind of working on it, it all started to click and, and fall into place. So I really do like connecting with people who are newer to painting. Um, and that's that's kind of a, a, a through line of all of my content, too. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I I would love to post the link in our in the show description, the episode description. So if you can hook me up with that, that would be absolutely, awesome. absolutely. And then, I mean, with that, do you want to kind of talk about like uh, there are so many board gamers that you know they they don't necessarily mind the gray miniatures. Um, you know, Tim from Board Game Hot Takes, he sent he loves scythe. He found a local painter, sent his scythe out to get it all painted. They look gorgeous, but then, you know, like it, it can be pricey. So mm -hmm. I think that literally anything that you do, even if it looks sloppy, it's going to look better than just a gray miniature. Absolutely. Um, so why not just 
try it. And so that's mm-hmm. what he decided to do. And like, I kind of gave him some advice from a beginner. To, to like, yeah, no, you know, like, here's great. how I'm getting started, you know, like, um, but from somebody who paints absolutely stunning miniatures, what, what would be your uh, recommendation for how to get started? If you just want to, you know, dabble. I think in it? a great way to get started. Um, if I were to send you to the store with a list of goods like what you should try to find um, first and foremost. And I'll go into a little bit of detail here just because it does need to be justified. I think compared to, well, let me just get it out there. But like, so spray paint is, is of course the way that a lot of people prime their minis. It's the first coat that you put on there. The paint adheres better to the plastic. Um, you know, some people like to go a little bit, a little bit extra mile and wash the minis first. The, the, the quick and dirty on that is sometimes when they are being cast form, they have a release agent on the mini that uh, is like a powder that stays on there during production and basically never comes off unless you wash it. Um, and so that powder also makes it hard for paint to adhere. So, you know, maybe wash it. And then a lot of people will buy like a spray can, a rattle can of like Rustoleum or something, which is totally fine. The only reason I advise against it is because sometimes the plastic that's used in especially specifically board game minis. So not necessarily minis you have to build off of a sprue, like a model kit, but board game minis, a lot of times they will interact with the solvents in the spray and it'll cause the final product to come out a little bit tacky or gummy. It's harder to paint and we don't want that. We want it to be easier. We want it to be enjoyable. (laughs) You know, the more barriers we add to painting, the harder it is to paint, which makes it less enjoyable. So, so all that to say, find a brush on primer there's a company uh, called Vallejo that makes a good one. There's a company that I prefer. Um, they are, the, the company itself is called Badger, but the product is called Steinal Res. And usually you can find it only at hobby stores, not really at like an arts and crafts store. Honestly, you can find it on Amazon if, if that's your jam. Um, but there's all sorts of independent hobby stores all over the U.S. and, and in other places that do sell it. Um, that is probably my best recommendation. If you're going to spend a little extra money out the gate, get that brush on primer because that will make a huge difference and you're not priming a million minis. So it's easy. And you do, you know, there's a couple different benefits, which is that you get more brush time. So you get to feel how the brush moves. You get to kind of slap it on there without having to be super accurate. Um, and the best part about it is that if you buy the black primer, um, I can give you like two or three other products and you will have a beautifully painted mini with very, very little investment. So black primer brush on preferably to start, um, just buy a multi-pack of brushes. I always just recommend people start with a multi-pack of synthetic brushes from your local art store. Does not matter what their quality is because, you know, unless you are somebody who has experience with natural hair brushes and wants to clean them every session, don't, don't bother investing in them until you realize you are really into this. Um, you can always chuck them. If they suck, you can chuck them. That's the best part about it. I'm not a huge fan of like disposable, you know, as a concept, but as you're starting out, I think it's forgivable to, to do that. Um, and then after that, I would go with a, like a medium gray. And again, uh, some great, great starter paints, uh, that have a high ceiling into that like higher skill cap is Vallejo. They're a wonderful, 
company to, to work with. Um, their paints are great. Like I said, they're priced well. They're, I would say, like a little bit above what a beginner paint would be, but they also have a much higher ceiling than I would say that like quote unquote beginner paints have. Um, and of course, if you know you're going to be into it, invest in a starter kit. You know, there's all sorts of starter sets. I know Monument Hobbies just put out a new one that comes with like a lot of basic colors and you can't go wrong with that. I think that's a great way to start because then you have access to different colors. And if you don't, then you can try to blend colors, which is a wonderful tool to have. <laughs> I um, find that so therapeutic, by the it way. It is, like, isn't it? Yeah, when I'm like, oh, this isn't quite the right red. I want it to be a little darker. Let's mix in like a dark gray and see what happens. And and then you're like, oh, well, you know what? That's too much. Maybe you lighten it up, like bring it back red. And it's just it, like, wow, it's so fun. It's such good training too. Like you don't even realize you're doing it that like, you know, like getting that opinion about color is so important and, you know, being able to identify like, Oh, maybe this is not bright enough for this highlight color. I need to add a little bit of X or Y, yeah. um, you know, like brightening and cooling down colors is like such an important part to growth as a mini painter. So like you're almost secretly, uh, by, by limiting the number of colors you have access to, you're almost, you're almost secretly training yourself in the best way possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Can like, I ask the reason question yeah. about the brush, cause, cause I use spray on because my friend can't use the Vallejo, uh, brush on stuff because mm -hmm. it, chemically it like, it, I've heard of that before. Yeah. Actually, he's like sensitive to that. So I've actually heard that before. Yeah. He gets migraines. So if you're chemically, like if you get migraines from like certain smells or chemicals mm -hmm. might not be the right option, but it doesn't mm -hmm. bother me. So he gave me all of his Vallejo stuff and I've never used it, but does it like, do I need to thin it like I would normal paints or do I just like grab a brush and just slather it on? I like so the, the idea because I always miss the groin or the armpits, right? right like right. when I'm spray uh, priming it, I groin and armpits are the bane of my existence. Every time, <laughs> every time with the paint on primer, I never, I just do it right out of the bottle. Um, I've never thinned it. I find actually the coverage isn't as good if you thin it. Um, and then if you do ever get to a point where like you feel comfortable, you know, investing in like a low, a low cost airbrush or something like that. I know there's a lot of battery operated ones now that are relatively inexpensive. It works really well through the airbrush too. So you can oh, cool. spray prime with it as well. Um, I think just in my limited experience with both products, I do feel that Sinolres is a different, um, maybe chemical product than Vallejo is. So it, that might be something to suggest to your friend as well to try. Oh, okay. Um, just to see, I, this is going to sound weird. It smells like Windex. I don't oh. know why. <laughs> Interesting. But the beauty of it is it dries really matte. It dries really fast. Um, you know, like it doesn't fully cure until like 24 hours later, but like truly if you're not slapping it on there, you could have a paintable mini in like 15 minutes with the Steinal Res stuff, which is great. Uh, it's comparable to spray priming, um, but then you don't run into that problem of like the solvents that are required in um, in spray priming to keep the paint liquid until it hits the model. You know that for whatever reason it does interact with some plastics. So I, I always like to try to hand prime those if I can. Um, thanks. Sorry. So, okay. Thanks. I you know yeah, that's no, something I've always been curious about, and I absolutely, absolutely. And and to be honest, if if rattle if rattle can is what you have, just use it. I mean. Rustoleum, um, you know, like Krylon, you know, anything you can get from a hardware store typically. And and like I said, I always recommend starting black because the next steps um, as part of this, like if you just 
want to get your stuff painted. You don't really care all that much about like super high quality or it's like you're just starting out and you want an approachable way to start painting. I would always recommend this method. It's popularly known as the slap chop method, which is getting a lot of interesting discourse online among mini painters. I don't buy into it, into that discourse at all for what it's worth. But uh, so you're going to take your black mini, you're going to take your medium gray paint that you have um, literally just like the most neutral mid-tone gray you can find. Steal a makeup brush from your partner or or buy one if you can. Um, or if you have a dry brush somehow sitting around something really <laughs> bushy, something really big and Again, get permission to get that to steal that makeup brush for what's. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be accused. An, of <laughs> they may have an old one, or you could be like, "Hey, right. do you want a new, nicer makeup?" Brush? Exactly. Now you're thinking. Now you're the now hero. You're <laughs> I got you this wonderful new pack of brushes. Now I could use them for painting, or you could have them, and I'll take your old ones. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Then I, I I just saturate the crap out of that brush, um, and then wipe a bunch of that gray paint off of the brush. You're going to be doing what's called a dry brush in this case. Um, once you've wiped a lot of that paint off, just from top to bottom, from head to toe, you just start swiping that on the mini. And you're going to notice that it's going to catch all of those raised edges as you swipe that brush on there. That is essentially, you're basically pre-highlighting your mini. Um, if you want to go the extra mile, then a white after that, even lighter dry brush. So maybe even a smaller brush, even more paint wiped off of it so that, you know, when you're swiping it on there, you have to do it about five, 10 times before you see any white at all on the mini. This is probably not the best description. It's much easier with a visual, but ultimately what you're trying to do is go from black in the darkest, like recessed areas, the groins, the armpits, those sort of things to a mid-tone gray, basically almost everywhere. And then your white, which is going to be the most sparse, but the most intense brightness on the mini. From there, you can use what are called contrast paints or speed paints, which those are there are beginner kits of those that I do recommend people pick up because they are relatively inexpensive. They're super popular right now. So you can you can swing a dead cat and hit a tutorial with those um, anywhere at this point. And they're also super user friendly in my experience. Um, Citadel, the company owned by GW, makes wonderful, wonderful, con they call them contrast paints. Uh, and they work really well over top of this particular priming method that I've mentioned, um, because they are transparent. So you're just, you're basically tinting that color uh, pyramid that you've now built on that mini. And again, theoretically, if you have dry brushed it correctly, the raised part, so like the nose or the little doodads that are on the on the chest or something like that, or like the little edges of all the cloth, those are going to be highlighted white. So when you put a transparent paint over top of that, you've already established that light value. That is the brightest point. That's the point that's going to stick out the most. And all of those low points will get paint on them. You won't even see it because it's already black. And so you've already established your shadows. You've already established your bright points. That is the foolproof, like out of the box. Anyone can do it method, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool way to do it. Um, I, you know, I'm still dabbling in highlights and sometimes I hate it. And sometimes like sometimes I'll start doing it and I'm just like, nah, nah, dog, this ain't for me. <laughs> like this, this dude's not getting highlights. All right. <laughs> you know, like, And that's fine. But, um, but I think I haven't tried that. I haven't done the black because there's, you know, um, 
I've always been told from multiple people and, and maybe, maybe you don't agree. I don't know. It's, uh, but you know, highlight or, uh, prime it white. If you want it to look more heroic, prime it black, if it's more villainous, mm-hmm. because it, it's that light and dark. And then mm-hmm. gray, I like to do gray a lot of the times if it's almost like a, um, a more not neutral, but like, what, what do you call that? Like a anti-hero type person or like someone that, that's in the gray, you know, like, mm-hmm. Which I, I gray is my favorite to prime, but I think, but it's, I I think it's a great starting point too. Yeah, I could um, do that. I just need to do it. I don't know. <laughs> that's the hardest part. That Maybe is the hardest part. Trying, it, it, trying new it, things. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's another big key to anyone starting. Do your best to eliminate as many barriers to sitting down and starting to paint as you can, because the, as you, as you start to collect more minis, that pile growing is so intimidating. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't look yeah, at my floor. Right. Like literally all around me right now, just like the shelf above me. Oh yes. <laughs> mostly painted. And then there's just off screen over here. I mean, literally a pile of <laughs> unpainted minis. Um, so it's like, that can be really intimidating. And, you know, I know not everybody is going to have an entire office dedicated to mini painting in their house, but like, if you can get like a dinner tray or something like that, that you can put away so your cats don't get to it or your kids or your dog that you can lock up at night um, and then pull it out. And it's already ready and set up and like good to go. So you don't have to do a whole lot of mental effort to get that prepped and ready to go. Um, That is probably the the most important thing I want to stress to new painters. Find a way to make it super easy to start painting, completely foolproof. You're ready to go from the moment you sit down because then you're going to be painting more. And that's what we want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I I have my kit and I just can carry it all together. Uh, it's like three pieces, essentially. I have a plate that I can paint on. Perfect. And that's everything. Like I. Yep. I, I used a toolbox for the cup. longest time. Um, I ended up eventually investing in a in a wooden box. I don't know if you can see it off. It's like right there off screen. Mm, it's kind of blending in with all the board games right there. But it's a wooden box that has different shelves on it that I carry to and from with me. Um, oh, nice. That's got all sorts of tools and stuff I can put in. It's like my briefcase, but it's cool and wooden and covered in stickers. But, um, you know, again, that's a. a- a lot of people use like fish tackle boxes yep. and that's kind of what I have is like, I have just one level of fish tackle boxes yep, where I can exactly that's perfect. And, yeah. So I have two of those and they work great. I can put my brushes in there. I can do, you know, mm-hmm. everything fits in there, but that would be way nicer to have. So, as I'm getting like more and more into it, I have like, yeah. Oh, I need bigger stuff. I need, there's always, stuff. yeah. There's always that get the gear mentality. I suffer from that big yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. And I always think of, well, it's nice. My wife uh, does some kind of painting, like diamond painting, if uh, which is just using like beads to do paint mm-hmm. by number type thing. Real pretty yeah. stuff. And so she'll do that. And then I miniature paint, which I love that we get to do that. Like That's sort so of cool. shared time. So I'm rarely painting in my office, but I think about setting up like a little studio type thing. That would be yeah, really yeah. nice. It'd be nice to have like, even just a small sitting area where I could sit and immediately start painting. And I think a lot of people who are into board games pretty much already have their little sanctum set up. Even if it's just a, even if it's just a single bookshelf in your house and it's maybe not a dedicated room or something like that, 
Um, you know, I think it's probably pretty easy to find at least a little bit of real estate in that in that room to dedicate to painting. Um, and it's something that you can like, you can either just dip your toes into or you can go whole hog into and just sort of like feel it out. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You know, there's plenty of board games out there that I've played that I enjoyed enough, but I'm not going to go out of my way to buy them. Same thing goes for mini painting, you know, like maybe it's just not that the mini's not for you, or maybe it's something that you just don't have the time or the desire to do. And that's totally cool too. There's plenty yeah. of people out there who, who would probably do it for you. So yes, <laughs> there definitely are. There's plenty of painters <laughs> out there to for hire. Um, right, right. I find it, it's very th- therapeutic for me and mm-hmm. it definitely gets pricier as you get more into it. But when I very first started, I was like, you know, I'm going to paint these miniatures. I need blue, gold, white, uh, skin colors, greens, you know, like, and I found a kit that had most of them and then just bought the extra paint. So probably mm-hmm. all in all, it was like 50 bucks for paints for all of those miniatures. Uh, and then $10 for a set of brushes that I used to death. I still use some of them for different like reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if I just need to slop some paint on and I don't yep. care about like, yep. you know, sh- stray hairs or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So all in all, I think it took me like 60. No, I guess the, primer so maybe 80 bucks total um to get into it but i have those little paint pots last you so long like yes they do year i've been painting for two years and i keep adding paints but i've never had to replace a paint so far yep. um and i'm still yep. using my same one can like i have one can of primer that i haven't gone through yet well i have three different colors so i have the three cans um, and I haven't gone through any of them yet. Yeah, um, it, it truly just... is something that, you know, like if you are at least reasonably responsible in your usage, um, it it does last a while. I, I mean, I certainly have had paints that have dried out before I've finished using them. Um, but more to the point, I one of the things I focus on with my content is affordability, you yeah. know, because we want to if we can spend our money on minis, not on the things we use to make them pretty more minis is always the goal. Right. Um, so I, you know, I do my very best in my, in my content to share, um, not only, you know, cause this is my job. So it makes sense for me to buy something that might be new and a little bit sus- suspect in terms of its usefulness. Um, cause I'll find some way to use it, I'm sure, or I'll give it to somebody, whatever. So when I, buy a new product or when a new product comes out, I do my very, very best to use it, try it and give my feedback on it because then you as a, as a, as a consumer can then decide, yes, this works for me. No, it doesn't work for me. You know, maybe providing examples of where it might be useful for a new painter versus somebody who has been painting for 10 years or something like that. Um, you know, and there, to be completely honest with you, I haven't found a single product that isn't usable in all spectrums of experience. Um, but for example, uh, you know, there's 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 all sorts of different mediums that you can buy out there, which are, you know, a, a non-pigmented liquid that you mix with paint to thin it down. The idea is, you know, you can get a thinner paint without changing the without changing the characteristics of that paint, whether it's color or consistency or texture, whatever. Um one thing I always do on my stream is I I have jokingly come to call it mermaid spit. And all it is, is tap water and a couple drops of dish liquid. 
Um, and it's my medium for everything, for absolutely everything. I use, I have other mediums for very, very specific scenarios. Like if I really want something glossy, I have a gloss medium. But like literally nine times out of 10, if I'm thinning a paint, it is just with this little dollar store bottle that I bought full of tap water and dish liquid. And, you know, so finding little things like that, that are cost effective and useful, um, that can make the hobby more approachable for a beginner. Um, you know, or like if somebody comes in my stream, they're like, I've never tried hobbying before. Um, and they show a real genuine interest. I have sent people minis before cause I have so many, I'm never going to paint them. You know, you end up with minis because people are like, ah, oh, you like this stuff. I'm not going to do this here. Just take all these D and D minis and I'm never going to paint them. So like, why not send them to somebody who needs them or wants them or, or whatever? Like if yeah. I can do things to try to like introduce people to the hobby, um, you know, Ray is a good example uh, from CGE. She expressed a, a very, very vague interest. And I'm like, well, hey, why don't we try painting on stream sometime together? You know, next con, I showed up with a box of, to be honest, it was a lot of like extra stuff that I had. But at the time I owned a store too. So I threw some new paints and brushes and stuff in there. I love putting together those little beginner kits for people who are like, they seem really sincere and interested, but like it's so cost prohibitive that I could not ask somebody to just dive in whole cloth. But if they're like, if they, if I see that light in their eye, usually I'll just be like, here, please take my stuff. Cause I have too much. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do really love to, like I said, introduce people to it. I could talk all day about mini painting. Um, like it's so weird. Cause I, like I said, I had no physical artistic background. I was a music person like my whole life. Oh. Um, so this coming out of nowhere is just as a surprise to me as it is to anyone else. But, um, you know, I, 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 I'm obsessed with it. And so I've decided to make it my career. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's really, really cool. And I think that's, um, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode with Ray, but we talked about, um, she, she went to school for like geology, you know, or like, yes. and uh, she wanted to make maps. And then now she's in a totally different career. You know, like we never know where we're going to end up, where our passions lead us. Absolutely. So key is just to follow those. And that's honestly, it's my favorite part about this industry is like one. Okay. This is not my favorite part. This is actually the part that I wish I could change more than anything is that like for most people, it's their part-time gig. Okay. I wish everybody could just devote everything they had into this because everybody clearly loves it. And if you love it enough to do it in addition to your full-time job, come on. Like <laughs> I wish I could snap my fingers and make it their whole time, their whole job, you know? But yeah. Anyway, my, what, Arwen and I always like to say is like, if you get 10 people in a room that are in the board game industry and ask them how they got into board games, you'll still get like 12 different answers because everyone it's like the Island of misfit toys. And it's the funniest thing in the world because everyone has ended up here by just some weird roundabout way. And I love that. Like that energy is so perfect, <laughs> but hers in particular, she told the story on my stream too. And I was a god. Like my mouth was literally hanging open. I'm like, how? Like what? Because of course, like I have a friendship with Ray outside of that particular relationship, and I'm like, this is not who you are. Well, how did you like summon the 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 <laughs> boldness to do these things? You know, like it's awesome. It's I admire the crap out of her. I, she's a, both a good friend and just like a, a genuinely someone I admire in the industry and and hope to emulate, um, especially in the streaming capacity. But like, that's the best part about this. And like getting to know you and talk to all these other people, 
I have continually been both impressed and humbled and delighted to just get to know all these amazing people. Like it's truly one of the few spaces I think that I've ever encountered in my entire life where everyone comes from some place of empathy, from some place of, of like true care and love for what they do. And so much so that they treat every interaction with other people with so much respect and like not necessarily gravitas. Like it's not like we're all sitting there like, you know, in top hats and stuff, but like, you know, genuinely. And that's why I've been drawn to from away from wargaming into board gaming is because that world is just so much more like sympathetic and in touch and, you know, like just, just in general, a delight to interact with. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It was interesting. I I was having a conversation with, because I think both the, the TCRPG and the board game, you know, Mm -hmm. they're up, they're so closely related. Absolutely. Um, and the communities in both are just really, really nice. Like mm-hmm. the majority of the community are people you would love to chat with, are super friendly. Mm-hmm. It's not a toxic community. Um, and I think that's so fascinating where, you know, I grew up more interested in board games. And and then I started watching board game streaming. And it is so much more accepted uh, in video game uh, streaming and just in video game culture to be toxic. Like mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. an acceptable thing. It's okay. It, yeah, of course you can call people out on their crap and you know, like if you don't agree, then you need to like full on attack them and you're in the right. And like, it's, it's horrible. And like, I've tried interacting with a lot of those people and it's just like negative. It just mm-hmm. is like, it weighs so heavily on me. And so Going from that to this board gaming, it's just like, what? Like everybody, everybody just wants to lift people up here. Everybody just mm-hmm. wants to like enjoy games together. And, and yeah, awesome? you can play against each other and get beat, but it's just like, oh, you got me this time, but next time, like, oh, that was fun. Yeah. You know, like it's it's like just so coming good. from coming from games myself, like I actually used to write for a for an online game publication. Um, so I was like very much immersed in, in the video game culture as well. So I, you know, I completely resonate with what you said about that. And, and you're, you're 100% right, which is that like my, my relationship to losing specifically has changed so much coming into the board game world. And it's because it feels okay to lose. In fact, it feels kind of positive sometimes to lose, um, as opposed to video games where it feels like it's, it's like the world is ending, even though you're back into a new game a moment later. Um, And it is, it's an attitude surrounding it. And I think that like, I think that sincerely there can be situations in which that positivity can also be toxic, but that's really where board games specifically. And to that extent, TTRPGs, because you, you very, very uh, aptly identified them as a actual, like an exactly the same as board games, which is to say, wholesome, accepting and, and welcoming. Um, you know, there, there's just this sincerity that makes it so that there's never been a question in my mind that, that, that positivity is, is, is true and genuine. It's not just like performative, you know? So it's, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. And I love, I, I hope it's not a bubble. I hope it's just the culture. <laughs> and as far as I know, it has been. And, and like, as somebody from a marginalized group, um, you know, like I, I hope again, I can't speak for other marginalized groups, but I hope 
that I can I can say, you know, at least from my perspective, I have never, ever once had a problem with anyone in this industry. And the few people that I've heard of that did pose a problem, the the community is so good at that self-selection, I've never had to interact with them. Yeah. Because it's been made extremely clear to them that there is not a place for them in in at least not necessarily for them, but for that ideology to exist in our, in our place. Yeah. You know, you, you, people can, people can have problematic opinions and not be bad people. That's part of the problem. That's part of why that's so insidious is because you read as a good person, but you have bad opinions or bad, dangerous, harmful opinions and you exist in this space where everybody kind of codes you as an okay person, and then that starts to leak out. You do have the ability, I think, to rehabilitate those concepts and like, you know, reform those opinions. If you don't, though, I think, like I said, the the community is so good at self-selecting and and self kind of um, adminning that that does not last. If you don't find an opportunity to kind of redefine those opinions because of maybe a lack of exposure, whatever the case may be. I'm not here to be an apologist for bad takes, but like it's very, it's a very positive space where people are invited to come as they are, whether that's as a marginalized person or as a person who may just have, like I said, a lack of exposure, a lack of experience with those marginalized people as a marginalized person, I do feel comfortable in those spaces, even with people I wouldn't necessarily look at and go, yes, you're somebody I want to spend time with. I don't know. That that might be getting a little bit in the weeds or if that makes any sense at all. I, I'm not sure. My my point, I guess, to, to put a fine point on it is like, I love that I can just be me in this space and not have to apologize for it or not have to mask that or something like that. And that goes for, so far, miniatures, um, but more more importantly and more specifically, board games. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is very well put, you know, like, and, and how many times does somebody get called out? And there is, I liked how you said the rehabilitation thing, because it does seem like, you know, oh, I feel attacked. Um, and there's always the two responses. You see it multiple times a year. Um, people will hunker down and they'll be like, no, I'm being attacked and I'm in the right. Or people will self-reflect like, truly think about like, Oh, is this something? Have I been living in a bubble? Wow. You just shattered my world. Mm-hmm. I need, I need a minute to collect my thoughts after analyzing this. Like, thank you all for bringing this to my attention. Like mm-hmm. I I've had that. And um, early in the, my Twitter experience, you know, not knowing certain things there, there are definitely clicks, but I had said something very well intentioned and, uh, I think some of it was taken out of context and some of it was me like being a little bit ignorant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that, I I got blocked by some big people and some of them unblocked me eventually when they saw like, when they understood like, Oh, Oh my, you know, like we're, we're so quick to judge on Twitter. I think sometimes. Right. Right. Um, But you can tell when people are being genuine or not like, right. It's, it's the classic case of intent versus impact. And just sort of like, I think, I think as, as a marginalized person, like you are not immune to having 
also bad takes, frankly. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean you. I mean, like the royal you. Right. Like, right. Right. I think it's I think maybe there's a there's a not necessarily school of thought, but there's a mindset where like, well, I am a marginalized person. So my my considerations, not necessarily unimpeachable, but certainly I would say like more advanced than the average person who's coming at this from a, pl- a point of neutrality or maybe a lack of understanding. Um, but that's not the case. I goof up all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. Maybe when it comes to gender or sexuality, I've got that on lock for the most part. I still goof that up. That's not, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, whatever. Once that starts becoming an excuse rather than a, like, evidence of of a, a point of growth, a place to start, that's when it becomes problematic. Is when somebody's like, oh, I'm just, I'm trying or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you can only do that for so long before you are just using it as another reason to not grow. And I think that the reason that the board game community is so good at self-selecting that is because everyone is so sincere that you can tell again, when somebody's intent is not to grow and just using that as a reason not to do so versus genuinely trying and failing to do like, I think a perfect example of this is like people in my life who still can, I mean, I've been out and, and like public with my transition for three years now, um, over three years at this point. And there are still people that I spend a lot of time with that still, you know, like they'll goof up my pronouns more often than not. It's just pronouns, whatever. I'm not somebody who's very reactive about that, but I do think that there's a lot of times where they feel guilty and they share that feeling of guilt with me. And that part is like, like, I'm not a reactive person. I, I understand that people mess up. That's fine. I feel like, though, as a as a person who's been in this world for three years plus, I can tell when somebody's doing it on purpose versus doing it as an accident. And I think that same self-selection occurs in the board game space where it's like you can tell and maybe not with perfect clarity, but you can tell when somebody's intent is clearly malicious. And the the the, the industry has repeatedly proven to be really, really accurate at picking those people out and basically being like, all right, you've got two choices here. You can hold on to that and walk away, or you can use this as a place where you can grow and learn and you have people who will guide you through that, but you have to make an effort, you know? And so it's, it's really unique in that it's both a social space where you can spend time as a marginalized person getting to be yourself and exploring that space and as a person who might be new to those experiences to learn and grow. And I've found that even in, I would say like the, the biggest laboratory of them all, which is like a convention um, where people of all walks of life come. It, it, it's been truly, truly astounding to me how positive those spaces still feel despite that many people, that many variables in that equation existing in one place together. Yeah, um, because even if somebody walks in with it with a mindset of bigotry or or you know whatever, it, it very clearly seems to be checked at the door. I don't know if they're going to walk away with a changed mind, but at least they get an opportunity to interact with people who are not their day to day people that they see every day at work or in their life or things like that, and just understand that we're all there to play board games and just have a good time and spend time together and just get to know one another. And I just think there's like magic in that, you know? Yeah. As you were talking about that, something dawned on me about the video game culture versus board game culture is that 
we gather around a table face to face where video games are online behind a wall of anonymity. You may be voice chatting with people, but at the same time, like we are actually granted pandemic, right? We we have definitely (laughs) all played a lot of games online. We've played games with people we've never met, made connections with people we never can. But like a big part of board gaming is that connection, like connecting around a table, connecting around the, a game where video games it's more about like competitively I'm going to beat you um, or, or we're going to beat the game. If it's a co-op game, even you can still like get really upset. You get really like invested in those things. It's just a, it's fascinating. I, I think people think of, you know, like um, magic, the gathering or D and D people as like nerdy, introverted, uh, socially awkward people. But when you think about it, they, they actually like are yearning for that connection. They're, they are building connection in it. And having their own social space. It's just a, that's cool. Maybe to to an outside observer, that is the case. But like truly seeing people be able to flourish in a place that they have chosen as their place, as their space, as the place that they come alive, is kind of the most fun part about conventions. Getting to interact with people who, you know, like, like there may be a clear like lack of maybe social grace or something like that. But the reality of the situation is this is their space to explore that, you know, to kind of have like an acid test of how do I act around people who love this hobby as well? You know, I can exist in this, in this place where there isn't judgment for me being passionate about this thing that like, maybe I can't talk about at my nine to five, yeah. you know, like, cause nobody cares or, you know, in a worst case scenario, they're, they're actually like, like, you know, negative about it or whatever. I'm in a place where for four days, three days, whatever, I can live and breathe this and I won't get judged for it for once. I can be myself. And that's the important part. That's what's so fun about it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautiful. Um, I, I want to jump back to some very basic questions. (laughs) I know this is going to be a long episode. I might not even edit anything out. Uh, I may just like do my quick edit thing and, and touch ups, but would um, you want to do like kind of a quick fire so we don't go too long? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay, perfect. So what did you get into first? Um, Wargaming, miniature painting, or board games? So I would say full full send, I was always a board gamer. My family had board games growing up. My dad and I have played and still play board games together. Um, my parents have now become board game, more more of like modern board gamers because of me. But I would say board gaming first. And then I discovered... Uh, wargaming through friends of mine who um, then stopped playing. And then I was like, I actually like the painting part of this a lot better than anything else. Still love wargaming, but painting is where my heart's at. That's awesome. Um, All right. Then after that, what about uh, like, so how old were you when you first started miniature painting? Mini painting, I started probably about 2018. So okay. at this point, it's coming up on five or six years. Um, and it was just something I went into completely, like, without any understanding of it, <laughs> of it um, through Warhammer, specifically Age of Sigmar. Um, so it, it's only been about five or six years. Um, but it was something that I, like, fully dedicated myself to once I figured out it existed. Yes. <laughs> Love it. What about, uh, what's your favorite game? Board game? Board game? Um, I think my favorite board game right now, hmm, 
I've been playing an early release of a game called Valbara from Hachette Games. It's a little card game that's on BGA right now in a beta version. Uh, it plays similar to like Citadels, but it's just this quick little snappy, um, you know, like I wouldn't say trick taking. It's not really trick taking. Um, there's a bit of area control. Um, it's just got these really creative elements that are just very, very tight and fun to play together. Um, and I don't even own it in physical form, but when I can, I'm th- that's going to be following me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, cool. Something to look forward to for the rest of us, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's not normally my speed. Like, I, I'm the kind of person that loves to sit down and play, like, just a really stodgy Euro where we can just sit there for, like, three hours and just be like, I'm going to have six sheep and, you know, whatever. Like, we just got done playing Agricola. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. Like, I love games like that. But so the fact that a card game has, like, just chokeholded me this this long is pretty cool. I like it. That's awesome. I want uh, to add on to that, you know, mentioning Agricola, man, we tied at 12 points and then there's Brian Chandler with like 32 or 36 points. I was like, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh. I was like, what in the world? You absolutely (laughs) slaughtered us. I don't even know. Like (laughs) BGA is a whole different beast for me. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, I don't know if it's my ADHD or what, but I have such a hard time. Like, focusing on a game i've been playing stone age with my friends which i've played countless times before it's been a while and i just don't remember the rules like without having the board game in front of me my brain's just like what the heck is this like i don't even know well <laughs> but yeah for me you i love asynchronous but if i don't know the game very well uh, that that was my first play of the game and it's it's such a different experience to not have it in front of you or to even just play it start to finish in one mm-hmm, sitting mm-hmm. so you know it might be like a couple hours or a couple days between my turn you know like <laughs> pax was going on so both right like, you know like you were unavailable during that time i think that brian had gone to a convention during our play so there were like times where just weekends there was like i had family stuff going on the holidays mm-hmm. are kind of happening you know like and, and you come back and you're like, what was yeah. I, why do I have 12 wood? What was I doing with this? Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, I have no idea what the, my strategy is here. And people always <laughs> tell me like, you know, there's notes, like you can take notes in there. I'm like, yeah, oh, but I'm never like, come why on. Why would I write that out? Like in my head, yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, right. yeah, when it comes back, I'll know what I'll do. I'm doing that, That's a level of commitment that I don't have. Yeah. Yeah. I love BGA and, and I loved playing that game. I got a decent feel for it i look forward to playing it more and trying it again uh, especially in person yeah especially in person <laughs> or at least like in maybe a, a live setting yeah 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 um but yeah anyway sorry i got sidetracked that's cool that no, no that problem was, you mentioned that and i'm just like brian you slaughtered us like we could have combined really points did. and still not been close <laughs> great game you know that was really fun um, it was it was a lot of fun <laughs> So uh, let's see. What is your? F- oh, oh, no, no, no. This was a question I was going to ask. All right. Whew, I'm glad I remembered this one. <laughs> um, this was like one of the first questions I was going to ask is when you have a I, I see like Gloomhaven, Blood Rage on there. Do mm-hmm. you make a commitment to paint your miniatures before you play your copy or or what's your relationship there with your board games and painting to your miniatures? I probably should. Um, when I got blood rage, I actually got that in a trade. I didn't set out to get it, but I'm, I'm very glad that I did. Um, but my friend gave me it. It's like the full Kickstarter version with the broken token insert. Like it's, it's, it's blood rage in its purest form. And of course, when I saw it, I'm like, Oh, minis. Yes. Minis. And, um, then I started opening it. I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many of them. 
And so, I mean, I definitely find that I commit to buying miniature baseboard games, knowing full well that I have very little time to paint them. I have the whole um, Horizon Zero Dawn um, oh, man. board game over there with the Thunderjaw expansion, stuff like that. The Steamforge game sent me to paint. Have not opened it. Um, you know, I have Animal Adventures over there. I've got boxes of unopened Malifaux minis. Um Omicron Protocol, like a bunch of these games that have these amazing minis that I look at and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I want to paint these. And then it sits on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, yes, I would like to. I find that playing a game makes me want to paint it more. And I don't think I've gotten Blood Rage to the table since I got it. So I'm like, there was a point where I was trying to paint one of them a day, just as oh, like wow. an exercise. Like, I'm just going to knock this out. It's just going to be my um, you know, like this is my daily ritual. I'll get so quick at it that I'll knock them out in no time or barring that it'll take me about a year. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, I stopped, I failed to continue that, that attempt and, um, no, maybe I'll pick it up again in the new year. Yeah. I, I mean, I played anachrony at a convention earlier this year and absolutely fell in love with it. I like potentially this could be my number one game if I got it played more, but, I bought it, bought the miniature set with it. Uh, and there's not even that many miniatures. I think I have what, like, uh, is it four or five per set? So at most I have like 25 miniatures to paint. Not that many. And they're all relatively, they're all the same miniature, right? So like I just take it, paint all the gold, paint all the silver, paint all the black, you know, like do all that. Mm -hmm. Um but I committed to like not playing the game until I got these miniatures painted. And I only have two of the two sets done. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, because I want to enjoy the game, like in full color. And I don't know. I totally get that. I, <laughs> I, I definitely have some games where I'm like, I, this would be a much, much better experience if they were painted and not because the minis are not good enough as is. I think a perfect example of this is mythic mischief. I backed that full stop when it came out because I was like, these mini, I've never seen anything like these minis. The gameplay, you know, I got to play it early. It was so good, still is, but I haven't picked it up because I'm like, I want these to be painted, but sitting in the box is not just going to magically paint them. So like, I really need to pull those out, start working on them um, because they, oh gosh, I just feel like they'd be so much fun to paint. Um, so that that's, I think maybe I'll make that my 2023 goal is to like get that whole game painted by the end of the year. There we go. But, yeah, that's perfect. Because <laughs> next week is uh, from when this airs, we're like nine days away from uh, New Year's. So. Yeah. Now maybe I'll make it a, a progress thing and I can be like, you know, constant updates of like, all right, I have this many out of this many painted. We're this many weeks into the year. Let's go for it. My sister actually asked me one year uh, or at the beginning of last year, maybe end of the one before. She's like, how much do you paint? Um, both like how many minis do you paint a year and how much time do you spend painting? So I downloaded an app. Uh, and of course I got really, really into using it for like a month and then stopped. Hello, uh, ADHD. <laughs> I know. Right. Shocker there. Right. Um, I wish I had, I wish I had an elegant way to do that. And maybe I'll just try to like recommit to using that. Um, I even set a timer where it's like every day it reminds me, it says your drawers are full of minis, go paint them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. And even as a thing where you can like start the timer, I'm painting, stop the timer, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I just need, I think it'd be really fun just from a project standpoint, like data standpoint to see what I, what kind of productivity, not for any particular reason to measure against myself, but like, I'm just so curious as to how much time I spend on this 
you know, like the whole like, yeah, obviously debunked now, but like the whole mastery concept of like 10,000 hours into something and you're a master at it or whatever. I just would love to know how much every year I spend on this, like how much of my life have I dedicated to this? Yeah. Well, that actually brings me to a question I had earlier uh, that I didn't ask yet was about how long do you think it takes you to paint like an average miniature? So on average, if we're talking like a, um, like a regular 28 millimeter size. So say like a whiz kids model or something like that, a player character from D and I would say they take about two hours. Actually, I have a good example right here. Um, So I painted, where's the other one? I guess it's not important that you see the other one, but I painted uh, this mini. So it's like a regular 28 mil mini. Again, you're, the, the quality is not going to be great. You're not going to be able to see it that well. There yeah. are two of them in the pack because WizKids sometimes sells them as a, as a twofer. Um, the, the person wanted both to be painted exactly as the same character, just one with wings. So like, if you oh, take cool. out the time I took to find the mini that had these wings, break them off, glue them to this one, paint them, you know, whatever. Um, I would say both of those took about two hours. So, so collectively... Um, a two hour paint job. And I would say that if I just did one, it would probably still have taken about two hours. Cause I, you know, did one color on one, one color on the other, yeah. whatever, maybe an hour and a half. Um, so 28 mil mini, your standard size D and D mini, probably about an hour or two. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's like, impressive to me because I will spend like two or three hours and they do not look nearly as good. But I think that's like sort of the mastery of the comfort and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like and brush yeah. technique, like brush control. That's yeah. where that speed thing comes in, right? That's where oh. you can measure against your, your former speed or something like that. Yeah. We talked uh-huh. about blending paints and that is so fun to do, but then it suddenly becomes the bane of my existence after painting for like two or three hours where either the paint dried up or like, I used it all up and now uh-huh. I've messed up and I'm like, okay, now I have to try and match that color. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not going to get exactly that same color. <laughs> Guess you're green now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel like mood plays in such a big role in like how quickly I can get something done. Cause like this one, the one that I posted on all my socials recently. Um, oh, yeah. That's so gorgeous. This one I did um, again at a hobby night. I just started uh, working on it. And I, I would say that like the majority of it was done in a couple of hours. Um, but then I also spent like an entire stream just on that, those wings. So, yeah. you know, oh, like, so real quick, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is audio. So this is like some sort of night, and it has like a. Is it a creature on the back with yes. these blue wings? I actually watched that stream uh, after the fact. I I rarely ever get to join in things live, um, <laughs> but I, it was so mesmerizing to watch you do like just the little details, and it's fascinating to me to see. Like I look at it, and I'm just like that would be way past done for me. You know, like I would not think to do all of these things. And you were talking about why you're using the glaze and why you're like, why you're doing certain things as you do them. So, so cool. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, Um, that's totally cool. I want to just sort of describe it so that when people go to your Instagram, they would know which one we're talking about. Right. And I wasn't sure if, uh, you know, you release the, the video format or whatever. So I, oh, of yeah, course, just I thought, you know, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, um, if anyone's looking to, to, to actually like look up the model itself, it's, uh, it's called the, um, Arch Revenant from oh. the Sylvaneth army of Age of Sigmar. So it's like, 
it, they're like tree elves kind of things, but it's it's like it's got this like knightly looking armor with these huge horns and a, and a big glaive and these giant wings. It's hard to miss. It's like the last <laughs> thing I posted. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Thank you. Um. So, yeah. So how long did that take you to paint? That one probably talking more like four to five, maybe even six hours. Yeah, so. That is so awesome. Um. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Uh, Thank you. Um, to kind of dive into ADHD a little bit. So mm-hmm. I get hyper-focused when I mm-hmm. like am super into something. So my wife will get like really annoyed at me um, <laughs> because she'll be done painting. She's like, all right, we've painted for like an hour and a half or two hours. Um, I'm good. And I'll be like, I-, I just need to like, I just need to finish this part. But then it's like, I have to finish the whole entire miniature. So oh, yeah. I will oh, often yeah. stay up to like midnight or 1 a.m. <laughs> if I like get hyper-focused. Um, do, you ex- do you have that same thing? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, there are so many times where I'm like, yeah, I was supposed to end stream like an hour ago, but I'm still going. And then like I get a raid and I'm like, well, I want to give them a show, you know, so I'm like, oh, just stay on for another hour. And next thing I know, I've okay. been on it for six hours. And like to me to sit here and go like, yeah, I painted for eight hours today. Like that seems like nothing to me because I had it was such an enjoyable time and it was such a focused flow state it felt like nothing. And so people are like, Oh my God, eight hours. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just forgot to pee like the whole time, but you know, I'm yeah. good. Like <laughs> I forgot to eat. I forgot to pee. I forgot. Right, like, exactly. Forgot it's to like stand up and now my butt's numb, but right. Right. Like, but that's just Wednesday for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say that's like my superpower with that in, re- in that respect for all the, for all the, uh, the negative connotations of ADHD and the problems that it can cause, with my scheduling and like consistency and follow up and whatever. The the one thing I can do is that, you know, when I do sit down to work and and I actually used to contract paint, um, I think I've kind of blown it on that one because of that exactly, which is like they would send me a project and I would not touch it for like a week and a half and they'd get no updates. You know, <laughs> I would send them updates saying like, I truly haven't worked on this, but they also would get like no project updates of like, this is where I'm at. Um, because there was nowhere to show, there was nothing to show. And then like in one day I would knock out like almost the entire project. <laughs> it, so it's like, if you're not cool with that, I get it. Like, I totally understand you have a structured business that you need to, to, you need me to adhere to. If that's not how, you know, if you can't accept, if you can't accept me at that level, then maybe we just probably shouldn't work together because it's just <laughs> how I work. And like, that's why the self-employment thing is so important to me. I mean, I genuinely feel like I, I could not exist in an office again, you know, like in a, in a traditional job because I've just become so attuned to this style of working, which is to say, like, work when I have the energy to because I can get done in eight hours what I think would probably take most people 20. And and that's yeah. not to toot my own horn. I understand that there are there are huge downsides to that. So it's not to say, like, Oh, I'm super productive all the time. It's like, I'm very much not productive all the time, but when I am productive, I crush it. I crush it. So, you know, it's, it's the grass is greener, but it's just as hard to mow, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Thanks so much for sharing that because I I've been recently diagnosed with ADHD and still trying to figure out my meds. Actually today is my first day off my meds so that I can start new meds tomorrow. Um, That's tough. Yeah. I feel like in a weird place. That's super tough. But talking to my other friend who's a painter, you know, does this professionally. He, he does it in segments. And I'm like, how the hell do you do that? Like, how do you just start painting and be like, I'm done for today. 
Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You just left it undone? Like, you just, Mm-mm. like, that boggles my mind. Like, he's like, yeah, I'll paint for, like, an hour, and then and then I'll uh, come back to it in a day or two. And I'm like, who are you? Like, yeah, Right, people, exactly. I'm people like, can do that? That that should have been, like, the first thing that tipped me off to the fact that I'm neurodivergent. Because I actually was only diagnosed, uh, like, two or three years ago, too. Okay. And I always suspected I, I had it, but it was just never something I pursued. Um, but like, truly, I, I just don't, um, I, I respect the the heck out of that. Cause I cannot do that. I'm not somebody who does well with that kind of, like in certain aspects of my life, I do really well with, and almost require a schedule, a regiment, you know, something reliable and consistent. Uh, but when it comes to my, I, I've decided that like, that's just my creativity at work is like, I, I've kind of like, it's, it's it's not something that can be tamed. And I know that sounds kind of like highfalutin a little bit. Um, but like truly I work best when I'm not, when my, when my creativity is not at the whim of my desire or my responsibility. Um, and I have the luxury. I mean, frankly, let's be honest, that's a privilege that I have. Um, you know, I have the luxury of living that lifestyle wholly in part, thanks to my partner who works really, really hard at her, at her day job to, to keep, you know, that, that momentum, um, because my, my income is inconsistent at best. And so, you know, I am very privileged to be in the position I am. And I understand that not everybody can work that way. Um, but like to bring it back full circle to, to Brandon Sanderson, you know, part of the reason he can write the way the, 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 the sheer volume that he does is because he's an extremely regular and regimented writer. And that is not my speed when it comes to my art. I cannot do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I hate to be the person that's like, no, I can't do something and use that as like my end all be all end of end of discussion thing. Um, but I've tried, you know, like I've tried so many different methods, uh, the app, for example. Um, you know, I've tried handwriting everything. I just am not that kind of person. And maybe I'll train it someday. But again, flowers are not always blooming, right? So <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, well, We'll move away from all that. Let's, uh, well, um, we're, we're way past, we're way over on time. <laughs> if you need, do you need to go right now? Or no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, cool, cool. So what do you do outside of board gaming? So outside of board gaming, um, I think I'll, 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 I'll detail like what I used to do outside of board gaming. Cause now that I'm in board gaming, it's like all I do. <laughs> Um, my day to day is like all board games. I actually recently started, um, doing some like actual copywriting and editing for board game companies recently. I've been trying to find more kind of contract and part-time work with actual publishers being like, Hey, I can review your rules and, and edit for rules clarification or just for grammar and stuff like that. And just adding that to my repertoire of, of creative work, um, just to kind of, add to that runway of like how long before I have to get a normal job, um, you know? Um, but if we're talking about me personally, like outside of what, I, um, you know, like what I, what I do outside of board gaming, um, you know, I generally like my life has been more boring now than even at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all locked inside because I basically go from my painting desk to the kitchen where I love to cook and then the couch where I like to watch things with my partner. <laughs> You know, I also, I do love, um, I love video games. I love playing video games with my friends. I'm not much of a solo gamer, um, both board gaming or, you know, online, though I'd love to fix the former. Um, 
and I love to I love going going camping when the weather's nice. Um, so there's like there's a little bit of outdoor time there. I promise. <laughs> I'm an indoor kid, but uh, you know that, that those are like like any time I can sneak games into something I do. Um, I think it's like the just my the way I communicate with people. So in in a way, it, not everything I do is board games, and in a way, everything I do is literally board games. <laughs> That is not an uncommon answer to that, like, you know, extent where those of us who get into board games as heavily as we are, especially enough to be on the show, right? Like, uh, you're obviously making some sort of content or, uh, or designing or, you know, whatever it is, um, your life kind of revolves around this. And yeah, yeah, so it is not uncommon. Um, Anyway, I love, I just did a poll like last week about are, are you more of an indoor board game community? Are you indoor <laughs> outdoor? And, you know, I got a lot of replies on it. Um, and it was like 87%, I think, or something like that were indoor kids, you know, indoor people. So I totally feel that. Um, and yeah. and I, I love being outdoors, but like, if I can bring a board game outdoors, I'm going to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's on my terms, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. And, and, Ray actually brought this up on a stream once and I was like, I was so, I, I don't know why I never thought of it before, but she's like, I really love rainy days. And she's like, I wonder if like, that's because we have an excuse to be inside or whatever. And I'm like, I can't believe I've never put that together before, but that's the same. Like I love a, a good over overcast or like cloudy day. Cause I just get to sit inside and enjoy that weather and just, you know, cozy and chill and play board games or something, you know? So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree. And the sound, you get that like yeah. ambiance of the yes. outdoors while being What could inside. be better? Yeah, it's perfect. That is, that <laughs> is very well put. Um, all right, let's go to the last segment, which is ridiculous theme. I don't I don't know if I prepped you for this and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm ready for it. Let's perfect. do this. <laughs> so ridiculous theme, we both come up with an idea for something we think would be a ridiculous theme for a board game. It could be, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea for a board game, but maybe silly. Uh, there's so many different things. Last week with Ray, it was dating Sims, uh, you know, turned into a board game. Um, so let's see. I don't, do, do you have anything in mind? I do. I do have oh, one in mind. I think so. <laughs> follow me here. This is going to be a weird one, <laughs> but okay. So like hygiene based games, <laughs> this just came off the top of my head. I have not thought about it. This is going to sound like I thought about it before, but like mm-hmm. truly, um, you know, you think of like hygiene based games, they're all relegated to children's games. So there's like that one there, um, with I don't know this is gonna sound crazy if you don't know what I'm talking about but like there was one where like there was it, it almost looked like the um um like the old Nickelodeon show where you had to fish in the thing's nose for like a flag um there's like one of those it's like a booger thing that you pull out of the thing's nose and if you pull the wrong one its brain pops out or something like that uh, and then there's like crocodile dentist or something you know like those are all kids games I have not seen an adult themed board game that's based around, you know, like, or you could even go so far as to say, like, don't wake daddy is like a sleep, uh, sleep health sort of board game. But like, what if there was like a flossing board game or something like that? And it doesn't have to be like a dexterity game or something like that. Like, I don't know. Or like Osmosis Jones, the board game or something, (laughs) you know, like, I guess viral is an example of Arcane wonders of like a, I don't know. It's just, that's that sounds ridiculous to me. And um, 
an untapped market, I think. <laughs> yeah, that I I think that would be really good uh, um, and really funny to me because recently I joined a, a game masters kind of guild type thing. <laughs> and one of the rules for an upcoming event, they, you know, they have the rules laid out and they're like, you know, be kind, be respectful, set boundaries at the beginning of your sessions, figure out where everybody wants. Um shower daily and (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh my gosh i love that you have to put that because it's sadly very true that a lot of us uh are a little bit different and that showering Mm -hmm. and hygiene may not be our top priority we may Mm -hmm. we may go a day or two or a week sure where we don't realize like oh i haven't showered i've I've really thrown myself at these things. Yeah, like in our, in, in our day-to-day lives, it's not something that's as impactful. You know, if you say work from home and it's a tolerance level that you built up, you know, like, yes, I don't know, even with neurodivergency, like sometimes it's hard to remember to do those care tasks. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know, maybe maybe it, it would be a good way to to sort of remind people with a, with a, with a uh, best-selling board game of hygiene. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. L- I feel lucky that... Um, like I am in physical, I haven't showered today. So my body hurts until yeah, I right. shower. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like that's a, a good thing. Cause if, if my body didn't hurt until I showered, I probably could go weeks without showering. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, there's so many other things, right. That, that yeah. take a priority or demand your attention. You know, it's like, it sounds really stupid and probably gross to people who don't have this problem, but like, I don't know. It's a thing, you know, for, yeah. for, for some people, as you can clearly understand that we have to post, you know, like, like alerts at, at cons of like, please wear deodorant. Like it's important. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course it is. But like, it's not that they're just like voluntarily forgetting to use deodorant. I'm sure it's some sort of like, you know, again, it's a priorities thing. It's whatever, but yeah, I'm gonna make a board game that, uh, or, or an ADHD themed board game, for example. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. I actually did design a, ADHD board game and my wife was like you can't do that that's like offensive and I'm like (laughs) I just want like people to understand what it's like absolutely but and a lot of my games that I've actually started design are based on mental health like problems I I love that but then I I love that um yeah I love that idea of just like teaching adults (laughs) reminding adults uh yeah but in like a we really all know how to do really it. Fun. Yeah, yeah. We know how to do it. We know how to you know, shower. On the topic of like mental health board games, um, Ryan Espin from um, Tabletop Express was talking yes. about uh, a Hollenspiel game that deals with like traumatic brain injury or something like that. It's a solo game where you walk through, uh, you know, somebody recovering from uh, TBI. And it, it was just like, I don't know that, that, that opened my mind to like alternative games in such a weird way. So I love this segment for that reason. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I had, Oh my gosh, why can't I remember his name right now? Uh, I had that designer on my show and I'm so sorry that I can't recall the name. That's okay. It goes, it goes uh, hand in hand with what what we're talking about anyway. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I thought that was really fascinating. And what he was talking about when designing that is that it was like, he wanted to, one, design a game that could help people that need to recover and s- learning that process and giving mm-hmm. them kind of a uh, a way to see that process like uh, visually in front of them. And, and then also teaching family members of people who need to do that. Because, um, you know, I, like my wife has plenty of mental health problems as well. And there are times like it, despite me 
having mine, I sometimes forget to have the empathy. Absolutely. Um, you know, or you deal with it all the time. And so you, that empathy kind of runs dry and I need to like recharge. that. Absolutely. You, you can't, you can't be what you can't see too, you know? So having somebody yeah. represent themselves in a board game, I think um, can make, make people feel like just in the short conversation we've had, um, you know, so many similarities that we've, we've kind of recognized in each other and just sort of felt better about maybe how we, how we approach something. Um, you know, I think those sort of, those sort of games are so important to like invite people into that experience. So, uh, you know, I think it's like, even if it, even if again, the spirit of the segment is like ridiculous board game themes. I think it's a great way to start to investigate potential, you know, opportunities to invite people in to experience that empathy, you know? Yeah. Okay. That gives me there. We just transitioned. Into what, <laughs> there, I've got my idea for my game, which uh, has some similarities there with them, um, but doing something with like a mental institution, like, a, okay. Um, having, I have been in a mental institution, you know, like, um, and it was very helpful. I was glad that I went, um, mm-hmm. and met so many different types of people and seeing the progress. Um, but there's like, I think that that would be a very fascinating game that you could learn a lot about the way people experience the same condition like depression some absolutely people, yeah everybody manifests it different like mm-hmm. and different ages you might have somebody who's like you know 18 going through high school drama you might have a 50 year old or an 80 year old you know like i had all of those types of people i had mm-hmm. you know people suffering from similar things or the same thing but it manifests so completely different in each of them and and how they cope and and learning to cope with that. I don't know exactly how to gamify that if you play as somebody specifically and that you like need to cooperatively work together without like the cards you play may be detrimental to other people, Mm -hmm. um, but you need to find a way to make it work together. Almost like maybe a worker placement in which to rehabilitate, like you have to attend certain workshops within again i have not been in that space so i don't know how that how that functions but i imagine there's schedules and and sort of like you know like required therapy and things like that like in order to rehabilitate certain people maybe a cooperative experience where you you have they have to go through uh certain aspects of the game in order to be discharged or something like that or come to maybe not like the idea is not um you know a whole health outcome because that's not how that works right right but being well enough to be done with that triage and and move back into the world and start to experience it with that new with those with those new skills that you've learned you know i love what you're saying there because you know obviously living it i can think of there's group therapy Mm-hmm. There is free time in which I would get people together. Like I, I'm always, I've always been pretty social. And so mm-hmm. I would go to people who were struggling more than me and be like, Hey, do you want to play? They've, they've got some games. Um, and this was before I was really into board games actually. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever thought of this, but like in there, I busted out a couple of old games, you know, like, and they might've mm-hmm. been something like, 
um, I can't even remember what they were. That was all such a blur, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you had more important things going on, I'm sure. Yeah. Like it didn't <laughs> matter what the game was, you know, it would be a basic Uno or whatever. Sure. Um, sure. You know, we would play those kind of, I'd get people to play those games or do puzzles. Um, so there's that free time. Um, and then there's individual therapy. There's coming up with like your own safety plan. And so I think that that would be something like based on your maybe maybe you have a health condition or like everybody has their own thing and that they have to build their safety plan. They have to Mm -hmm. like do put in the work to progress their mental health to where they can be released and be safe. Well, and I Um, think that could be so meaningful too, like to somebody who has experienced mental health issues, but not been in that particular situation, I think. um, And then, you know, taking it a step further, uh, offering that as a, as a window into that, into that universe for somebody who's never even experienced maybe a mental health crisis or something like that, whether yeah. it's, you know, directly or indirectly. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge would be, you know, like, I don't know, I, I don't want to say proving, but like, unfortunately, you know, in on the, the court of public opinion, proving to people that you are qualified to provide that experience for people. Um, you know, cause like you and I can have this conversation and say like, we understand it's a sensitive topic, but you have been in one of those situations. You've been in that facility, you know how that operates. So you are qualified to speak on that experience. But I personally have just had experience with mental health issues outside of that place and have a limited understanding of what happens there, but not necessarily one of what happens with those mental health issues. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. And that's not to say like, one is more extreme than the other or anything, exactly. right? Like, exactly. luckily, you know, like I had a major attempt on my life and I did, I was begging not to go there, you know, like mm-hmm. pleading that, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need to go there. And right, I was forced right. to be in there. Um, but it, I'm glad I was because. Right. And you can, you yeah. can <laughs> speak on that, but you can speak on that experience, you know, after the fact as somebody who has been in therapy for years, and, you know, has struggled with depression, ADHD, and all sorts of different, you know, mental health issues, um, destigmatizing that so that yeah. maybe when somebody in the future who's played your game or has heard of your game or something like that um, has a situation where they're being again, not necessarily against their will, but being, you know, like, like medically being ne- medically necessary to attend a, a facility like that might feel a little bit more or less alone, I think, in that respect. Yeah. Or, or less like, this is a very bad thing. I don't want this to be always associated with me kind of thing. Like all the thoughts that go through your head of like, this will irreparably change people's perception of me or whatever the case may be. All those, all those thoughts, right. Of course happen. Um, and maybe, maybe they will be a little less prevalent because they've played this game, you know? (laughs) Yeah. See, and that would be my goal behind like mental health type games is, is destigmatizing it. It's, there's no shame. Like, I really have no shame in sharing that, you know, that experience because that is a part of who I am and why I I admire that. I I genuinely admire that. Well, thank you. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) but I also, there's also that like um, me, I deal with things for, with humor. Like um, Mm -hmm. I broke my leg really bad and I was joking in the ambulance. Like, yeah, go ahead. Just amputate it. Like I would flirt with the, the ambulance, uh, Oh my gosh, the paramedics or whatever, you know, like, and, and just like, that's, that's how I deal with things as humor or, um, 
gamifying things. Uh, yep, I do the exact same thing. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I know some people are like, would definitely take offense to being like, you gamified this like very <laughs> sacred experience to me or like my mother went through this or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, like, which is why I think you brought up the like, it's very important that it's like those credentials of like, I have been through this and mm-hmm. I want this to like help you either understand the process, have empathy for those that do, or, um, you know, like maybe even understand what happens in there if you're going through it, but you haven't gotten to that extreme. Yeah. Like, and, and especially with mental health, it's not one of those situations where you want to get in the habit of means testing, but like, I think if, if you were presenting that to a public audience, there would have to be some sort of mandatory means testing from the creator in order to demonstrate that you have, at least an approximate knowledge of what has occurred, you know, and there's no reason that you couldn't have a team of people who have also experienced that, which could be really great. That could be a, that could be a a, a selling point, you know, is to say like we have gone out of our way to hire people who've had a similar experience Um, because I'm sure there's stigma in that respect too, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, a veteran with PTSD all the way down to somebody who was, uh, committed for for some other experience that they've had um you know there's always reasons for people to reject us and you know using that as an opportunity instead to to favor those experiences could be a a major improvement i think yeah well yeah i agree um wow what a variety of things we talked about <laughs> i absolutely I don't know if love you thought, <laughs> i don't know if you knew this is what you were getting into but i <laughs> no, it, it's great that's um, that's what I love about the show is so it's so casual. It's, you know, wherever the conversation leads, this is, you know, I feel like I could sit down at a game table with you and play a game and have fun conversation. And I hope that listeners feel that way too. You know, like we're, we're personalizing people in the community that maybe you've only ever seen online. So, um, and, thank and you I so like much to, for coming on when I, I definitely like to add, you know, that I, these are topics that I tend to not shy away from on any of my content. And, you know, I try to front load uh, that attitude with people so that they know, you know, what they're, (laughs) I guess what they're getting into with me. Um, I think it can be, you know, speaking on behalf of that stigma, it can be hard for people in public positions or people uh, in positions wherein their, their, their goal is to distract people from the troubles of life I think it can be really tempting to avoid this this kind of conversation um, so as to maintain this integrity of like, oh, this is a happy-go-lucky thing. Um, so, you know, when people are willing to engage in that kind of discussion, I think uh, it is truly for the greater good in the most case because what who's to say my experience doesn't mirror that of somebody who is experiencing the same thing but has not been able to identify necessarily what exactly it was. I know myself, um, you know, were, you know, were trans people more visible growing up in things other than, you know, comedies as the butt of the joke, I might have understood myself a little bit sooner. Um, and so, as you said, destigmatizing mental health, a big part of what I do with my content is try to demystify the trans experience, the the queer experience in a space that's approachable like board games. So I do really, truly appreciate you, you know, being willing to discuss more complicated topics I'm here to talk about mini painting, but that's just how I rope you in to get (laughs) (laughs) welcome. (laughs) You know what, though? I love that because so I grew up 
very religious, not religious anymore, but um, you know, that was like anti-gay, anti-trans, all that stuff. You know, well, trans wasn't even a, didn't even come on my radar here in Utah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like that was not a thing I knew about until my twenties probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I was never like anti-gay. Like mm-hmm. I was always of the mindset of like, I don't really know. I, and so I wouldn't vote either way on gay marriage. I wouldn't vote on those gay rights issues because I don't know enough about it. But from my religious aspect, you know, like God meant whatever. We won't get too much <laughs> into that. But but eventually I met somebody who was of the same religion of uh, as me, who was a Spanish tutor, like a Spanish uh, private teacher type thing. Mm-hmm. So I started taking private classes and then found out he was married to a man. And I was like, Whoa, okay. And like actually had like, he was very open and friendly. He didn't, you know, like he didn't bring it up. I ended up bringing it up. Like, so are you like uh married or, you know, like, cause I was getting some vibes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about it, had very open, cool conversations about it. And then I was like, you know, I think I need to like really analyze. And this is coming from somebody who like, my sister came out to me in high school and Mm -hmm. nearly every conversation we had was her like attacking me for not, not having a firm stance. Like, right. Right. Not being like, I'm going to support my sister because she is. And it's like, I have, I don't have that yet. You know, like I need to actually like have a positive interaction and open somewhere where I can openly ask questions and not be attacked. Yep. And Um, that's, that's my goal with what I do too. So thank you so much for doing that. Like, I think that in the stream or in, in your interactions in, on Arwen's podcast, like you, you have that presence of like, good, good. This is a safe space. I'm a safe person like that. And that's, that's honestly, I, that's really validating to hear it. Like, that's my goal is, you know, I, it is absolutely not the responsibility of anybody who is, um, you know, of a marginalized or, or out, outside identity to do this. Um, yes. You know, my coming out was was very thankfully, um, you know, aside from obviously there, there were a few things that were troublesome and problematic about, you know, like the way people reacted. But like, generally speaking, I've seen so many other people that have had a very, very negative experience. I contextually speaking have not. I've decided I'm going to put that energy towards trying to make it easier and more approachable uh, with the platform that I have. So I'd be lying if I said a part of why I, you know, I push to have a platform is to be that person maybe in just this industry, in my sphere of influence. Um, Because so often, you know, again, justifiably, those interactions are negative or aggressive or, you know, like people need to be protected in, in their own way. And so they respond in kind. And um, again, not to suggest that they shouldn't, but the reality is that it's far harder to, you know, the, the, the old saying goes, it's harder to attract flies with, with vinegar than honey kind of thing. Um, and not to say that I'm honey potting people into like accepting trans people <laughs> or whatever, but like, you know, like if somebody comes into my chat and has like general, like genuine questions, wants to engage with me on a, on a, on a very clear and concise level, I'm game. Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. You know, maybe it'll help you understand your loved one better. And that's what I'm going for. And now granted, of course, I'm there to mini paint and talk about mini painting, but I'm also, you know, I try to keep an open door policy with that. So. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, and I think that's such an important thing, especially where kind of modern discourse is 
people tend to hold to their core belief of like, this is how I was raised and this is how it remains. Like, yep. we, we need a safe space to be able to explore options. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to explore our identity, other people's identity, like understand people. So, so thank mm-hmm. you for creating that safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and on that beautiful <laughs> note, uh, why don't you go ahead and plug what you've got? Well, we'll wrap up. Thank you so much yes, for chatting with me. Of course. Um, so I can be found on almost all the socials, including now Hive, um, because I, I'm I'm waiting for the, the for the big exodus of Twitter. Um, but like at this point, I can be found at Jamie Daggers on basically everything. Um, Jamie underscore Daggers on Twitter, because there's one person who has my screen name and I can't get it away from them, even though they haven't oh. tweeted since 2005. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that. Um but most often and most, I think, engaging is probably Twitch. Um, I'm on Twitch Mondays and Wednesdays from noon to four Eastern time and Thursday nights from eight until midnight ish, sometimes later, uh, depending on if we get that like hyper focus we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's where I have a lot of these conversations where I talk about mini painting and, you know, it's not always about these things, but I do, like I said, like to set the expectation with people that I don't shy away from that. So, you know, if it's something that you want to talk about, or perhaps you have a loved one who has come out to you and you don't know what to do, um, you know, like I'm not going to, uh, you know, sit there and talk specifically to you through the whole thing, but perhaps having a conversation can make you feel a little bit better and maybe well equipped to handle that sort of thing. But most importantly, minis. I will talk about minis all day long. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Um, I'll plug my stuff real quick. There's not Please, really yeah. a lot. So you can follow me at Riled Nerd on Twitter. I'm on a couple of, I'm like on Instagram, I'm on Mastodon, but um, I haven't joined Hive yet. Maybe one day. Uh, and then you can, if you can write a review, share this podcast with your friends, your family, whoever you think would enjoy it. I know it's, it's kind of different, you know, we're a board game pod. It's a board, uh, it's a board game podcast, even where I don't really talk too much about board games. We're just getting <laughs> to know people. So, um, I, hopefully it helps you get to know people throughout the community. I'm always grateful for that. Um, again, Thank you. And I'm trying to think, oh, holidays, right? It's the holidays. Totally normal to have seasonal depression or for your depression and anxiety to be riding even higher. There's no shame in that. Please utilize whatever resources you have. 988 here in America. That's a new thing. You can just dial up and and you get connected with somebody. Um, I know, you know, to open up, I'm I've been struggling this week really hard with it, with a mixture of like, oh, I'm frustration with my new meds working out, trying to figure that out and, and just the cold weather and not being able to interact with as many people in person. Um, It's hard on mental health and there's no shame in that. Open up to whoever you need to uh, reach out to your friends, your family, cope however you need to paint miniatures, play board games, play solo (laughs) games, play video games, watch TV for hours, whatever it is that helps you just make it through. It's going to get better. Um, And then on that note, uh, yeah, until next time, keep nerding out. It kind of ties everything into a nice little bow. Uh, About five years ago, my dad had a a double lung transplant. Um, He's in his 60s, so that's like not a small thing. Um, But it is supposed to be a rather, you know, reasonable or run-of-the-mill surgery for the most part. That is to say, we don't expect 
you know, difficulty going into it. Long story short, uh, there were complications and he was bedridden for about six months after the surgery, which left him atrophied to an insane degree where he lost like fine motor control. And um, part of what I would do to help rehabilitate him was to play board games with him. Um, We would play card games specifically to help him regain the motor function of his hands and things like that. And um, we have carried that, um, that consistent board gaming over now into his fully rehabilitated life where he can, you know, drive and travel and do all these things that he used to do um, and is fully healthy and capable. And um, we now still play board games every week together on Tuesdays. So um, that is something that I have such a fondness for because he's the one who got me into board gaming. Now I'm the one who's gotten him into modern board gaming. And it's still something that he and my mom and basically everybody in my family shares. Are you looking for more ways to connect with family and friends this holiday season? This year, Board Game Bistro is partnering with Spielmas, a holiday festival celebrated by playing a tabletop game each night between December 26th and the 31st. I personally see this every year and I think, oh, I wish I did that. Now I have enough notice that I'm actually going to do it. It's really simple. You can go to their website and print off a display. It has those six days. When you play a game one of those nights, you'll fill one of the hexagons with a component or something from there. After the six days, you take a picture, use the hashtag Spielmas, and celebrate just having a great time during the holidays with friends and family, or solo. Join us by visiting Spielmas.com and clicking on Share. Are you a designer looking for playtesters for your game? or even just a player who likes to playtest games and give feedback and help shape the games. Protospiel Online is an online playtesting event. It starts Friday, January 13th, goes till Sunday, January 15th. I will be there. Uh, At least one of those days, I will be running kind of a room where you can come and chat with me and we can talk about building a community in the space. I think there are a lot of important aspects to building a community around a product or you as a designer. I think with board games, especially the way that we play games in person, it's it's such a personal thing that we do with friends and family that building a community is very key around you as a person or your game. You can go sign up now, protospiel.online. Online. <laughs> 